You think you know me. Episode 13 of the WrestleCast is here. I'm your host, JD, and I'm joined with a new guest host today. It is an old friend of mine named Stan. How you doing, buddy? I'm pretty good. You? I'm doing quite well these days, bowling like a champ. Uh, But we're not here to talk about bowling. We're here to talk about all the wrestling that's been going on in the world. In a nice little update here, Hell in a Cell happened. That's probably what the most people are here for, but... We also have a nice little wrestler spotlight covering uh, this this guy named Edge. Maybe a couple of you have heard of heard about him. That was your suggestion, Dan. Uh, why'd you pick Edge? Yeah, I figured if we're gonna go for retired guys, I kind of grew up in the mid '90s, new generation, mm-hmm. going to Attitude Era, into the Ruthless Aggression Era. So I, that's kind of the area I know, and I just remember seeing Edge progress up the ladder. Probably from lower tier, just I remember his first big breakout was just a mixed tag with Sable and watching him progress all the way into the mid card with the TLC classics, all the way into the main card where he stayed for the rest of his career for a while, years and years until deck injuries. So I just mm-hmm. think he's like one of the top wrestlers that stood out to me. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. He's definitely uh, one of the standout superstars. Uh, of the era, and one of the few guys that actually got a push and stayed there. Uh, so we'll get to him. Uh, I went to a, an indie show uh, the night of Hell in a Cell instead of watching Hell in a Cell live. Um, you know, watching WWE not live is actually more palatable because you can skip through a lot of the nonsense, you know, filler stuff that they do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I went to well, Beyond Wrestling well, Show. It was called uh, Somebody's Farewell, probably. Uh, there was it was nobody's farewell. <laughs> <laughs> little spoiler there we got some women women's wrestling updates since uh it's been a hotbed hot month for for women's wrestling um on this particular recording this is called uh, part one if you're watching live via twitch periscope youtube redley fretcher cast or at bowling jd uh part two will cover a lot of the japanese wrestling and uh chapter 75 of progress so we'll have to tune in either to uh, Spotify, Stitcher for all the complete show, or just stay tuned for part two of the live show. Uh, we are discussing Hell in a Cell, like I said, and finishing off with WCW Thunder episode eight from February twenty sixth, nineteen eighty or nineteen ninety eight. Ooh, eighty eight. That would have been a long time ago. <laughs> so lately, before my time when I started. But you'll definitely recognize some of the names there, Stan. I'm, I'm definitely curious about uh, what you think about the booking from way back then. So, 
A little quick women's wrestling update here, just moving right along. Got a lot, a lot and lot to talk about. Got some feedback about the long four-hour shows. People did enjoy them, but a uh, lot to take in, and we kind of want to put out more, uh, talk about the more important stuff. So, Shine 53 happened. Shine is a small women's-only promotion here in the United States of America, and uh, they just had a small tournament for the vacated title due to their champion, Lufisto, uh, coming down with an injury of sorts. Uh, the final four turned out to be Eva Lise, might know her from uh, Lucha Underground. Uh, Allison K or Sienna. Allison K is currently in the Mae Young Classic, uh, and she went by Sienna in Impact. Mercedes Martinez also in the Mae Young Classic, and Santana Garrett going by oh. Santana only. You, do you remember Santana from the Mae Young Classic uh, in the first year? Uh, it doesn't sound familiar. Was she one of the ones eliminated in the first round? Uh, I think she made it into the second round. She was kind. Of, she kind of had that Wonder Woman look to her. I might recognize it from but it just doesn't ring any bells. Right. I definitely reckon, uh, remember Martinez. Yeah, because she went pretty far in the tournament. Um, she's she's a wily vet, uh, very good, but she just doesn't have that WWE look. They probably want nothing to do with her. <laughs> But man, does she kick ass. Uh, so, I think they were just trying to scout some younger, newer people. And as good as Martinez is, she definitely is on like the backside of her career right now in terms of age. Yeah, that that's it. That, you know what? You, you've, you've, you've worded that quite well. I would definitely agree with that. Uh, WWE definitely missed the boat on Mercedes Martinez. But that doesn't leave companies like Ring of Honor and Impact Wrestling to uh, not pull the trigger on her at least for a, you know six months to a year at least for a short rivalry i think mercedes martinez is good enough to deserve something like that um that being said okay, she yes. uh she and eva lise uh went 13 minutes in a very good tag team rivalry match they have a tag team over there in shine and they went one-on-one and and took it to town to each other it was very good um martinez met allison k in the finals uh and bear in mind they already had uh, two other matches prior to this on the same show. So when uh, when I put all the times together, Merce- Mercedes Martinez wrestled for about 45 minutes that night, and Allison Kay was, wasn't as long, but she wrestled a good 30, 30, 35 minutes. It was pretty crazy. Um, they, they were extremely Impressive. exhausted by the end of it, but Allison Kay is so good at, uh, at, char- at the character game in the ring and then Mercedes Martinez, uh, she wrestled this particular match more technical than the uh, hard-hitting and faster pace that the Ivelisse won. So, but Kay ended up winning by reversing into an Indian Deathlock at the end. Uh, very good match. Uh, one of the better women's matches I've seen in the past few weeks. Uh, moving right along, Mae Young Classic is uh, continuing, and Allison Kay... <laughs> makes another appearance. She faced uh, Mia Yim. The match only went 9 minutes and 40 seconds for you know the main event, but uh, it was still quite good, um, which was expected. They have a they have a lush history and rivalry to go with their, their just great chemistry. Uh, what did you think of this match, uh, Stan? I believe you watched this one. I did watch it. I thought it was good. Like, I don't recall anything that stood out too much, but the entire match itself I was pretty impressed with. I like Mia, uh, Mia Yim's newer look compared to what she had last year, uh, where the hair went a little longer, more like a 
badass look as opposed to just standard creator wrestler look that she had last year. So I definitely like the improvements. Oh man, you need to see some. You need to see her how she dresses on the indie scene. She dresses in like combat boots and army pants. <laughs> so you talk about badass look. She's got that going on the indie scene. I don't think uh, they'll let her do that in WWE. <laughs> I guess not. But it, it's I, good that she's coming across as the badass that you took it that way. That's a good sign going forward. Uh, definitely. Uh, yeah, so uh, in other news in Japan, the uh, Five Star Grand Prix over in Stardom is moving right along. We're down to It's down to the last day coming up. Uh, Stan, this is a kind of a, um, a block tournament where there's six wrestlers in uh, each block. They each face each other once. They You know, you get two points for a win, one point for a draw, no points for a loss, and whoever has the most points in each of the block will face each other in the finals. Very cool stuff. Think of a, a King of the Ring, but it's non-elimination. Okay. Cool. Um, just just to throw out the names and, and some results here, Utami, the super rookie, faced Rachel Elring. They went to a 15-minute draw. Not the best match in the world. It was mostly Elring just throwing her around the ring. Uh, this definitely exposed Utami as the rookie she is, uh, despite her good showing up to this point in the tournament. Uh, stand for the record, Ut- this girl, Ut- Utami has only been wrestling for, like, two months. <laughs> wow. And she is incredible. It makes Ronda Rousey look like a goldfish. <laughs> to be fair, like, Ronda Rousey is very well protected for booking. A, so far, it's been squash matches, a couple competitive matches where she just has to sell a lot and then be a badass at the end. <laughs> Hulk up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Utami's not doing that. She's putting in 15, 15 minute matches left and right here. So, uh, the other name that's really standing out to me was, is uh, Hazuki. She's a young young girl as well. Uh, she's growing so much as a wrestler. She lost to Mayu Iwatani, one of the veterans in stardom, uh, go, heading into the final day. Um, but in the end, the, the blocks are way too tight to call right now. There are eight possible winner, winners going into the last day, so I can't even like begin to describe that. I can't wait to talk about the finish of the tournament and the continuation of the Mae Young Classic. Uh, who's who's some, who's some of your favorite women wrestlers out there, Stan? Are you talking about Indies, Mae Young, or Doesn't Mae Young? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Big fan of Asuka, or was a huge fan of Asuka in her NXT days. It's... <laughs> Sadder and sadder to watch now. It is quite uh, depressing what's happened to her. Yeah. No doubt. Uh, for May Young, big fan of Tony Storm. There you uh, go. That definitely Charlotte, Sasha Banks, kind of the usuals. Uh, other ones, I mean, I'm not sure if I can call her underrated anymore, but Bianca Belair is one of the ones that I really see as a future star and definitely on the rise right now. Bianca Belair is definitely one of those on the rise. Uh, I, I really like that uh, double countout finish that she went with Nikki Cross on NXT the other day. Definitely protect them both. Let them both look good. Build toward another match later on down the road. Yeah, right now, the NXT women's roster is a little thinner than it was in years past. And it doesn't have to be because you do have a lot of talent on there. They're just not seeming to do anything with them. It's just... They're not even doing anything with Kyrie Sane as champ. It's just another Baszler match after another. It, it seems really weird, the booking there. 
I uh, personally, I don't know why Nikki Cross isn't on the main roster yet. San- yeah, Sanity definitely needs something. That's for sure. <laughs> well, Sanity's suffering for different reasons. If you're not allowed to win a match, you pretty much have the Bray Wyatt treatment. It'll work for a little bit, but if you crowd constantly sees you lose match after match after match, you don't have much hope. Yeah, or not on TV at all, in their case as well. That too. We're on the pre-show. Right. Well, uh, moving right along, uh, I went to an indie wrestling show, Stan, one up, one up here on the East Coast. It's called Beyond Wrestling. I'm not sure if anyone's heard of that. <laughs> to be honest, I hadn't. I'm not uh, really. I've heard the name around uh, when I was living in Canada, uh, but I never went to a show. I finally went to one, and um, it was just a super fun night. Very hot brick memorial building. There was maybe 75 people there. Just not a lot of people showed up. It was the it was Hell in a Cell night, so we all knew what the wrestling fans were doing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll just run down yeah. the card real quick because it was super fun. Um, do you remember Piper Niven from the Mae Young Classic? Of big course, Scottish she was big standouts. From last uh, year, she was there once. Yeah, so uh, she was actually the mystery opponent to face Lufisto, the ex-Shine champion. Uh, and that's what opened the show. Quite fun. Very, uh, very good. Heart-hitting. Oh my god. Both opponents' chests were super, super red. Uh, then LAX. Are you familiar with them from Impact? Los Angeles Exchange? Uh, not Impact. Hmm. Well, we'll definitely get to Impact there, but, uh, yeah, LAX is one of the hottest tag teams in the world right now. They are super fun to watch. I don't think I've ever watched a bad LAX match, and watching them live is even better than you can imagine. Uh... There was a really funny gimmick match after that uh, to really to really get us calmed down, but it was uh, there was it was this jacked older dude. Um, the whole event was sponsored by Founders Beer, and this match really made it apparent <laughs> that Founders Beer was the sponsor. Uh, this older dude called uh, the beer he was drinking Fit Boy Fuel. Super funny. Uh, every there was a whole bunch of spots involving the beer, beer being spit into people's faces, including the ref. It was super. Fun. Uh, yeah, there was a uh, a controversial spot uh, right after that. A um, couple indie guys, Green versus Watts. Uh, I was I was I was right there on the ring, like pounding on it, right next to the turnbuckle, and uh, Watts was thrown neck first into the bottom turnbuckle, and he started kind of shaking his left arm, and uh, I was like, uh oh, and he just the ref goes, "Are you okay?" and he goes. Uh, call the medic. I'm not okay. Um, give me some water. So immediately, everyone just you know got real quiet. Um, I heard a couple guys next to me uh, saying that apparently he was he had a uh, broken neck. He suffered a broken neck last year, and uh, so the medic on site called nine one one. And uh, when his opponent went over to him. He ended up rolling up, rolling him up, and the ref immediately counted three. So you know, kudos, kudos to the <laughs> to the acting there. It was definitely a five star performance. <laughs> he had everyone fill, uh, fooled. Um, I just happened to also be sitting next to uh, the Piper Niven slash Viper and Joey Ryan. <laughs> and um, 
Yeah. Me and me and Viper, yeah, <laughs> me and Viper were like, "What the fuck?" Like she had a huge shock on her face, hand up to her mouth, and everything. Joey Ryan, no reaction, stone faced. He didn't he didn't buy it for a second. <laughs> I guess he I guess he he was also kind of half asleep the whole time. It was quite funny. Um, but uh, no more than five minutes later. Uh, apparently he was getting yelled at in the back and we could all hear him because, uh, between him and his opponent, they were the only two that knew of this little shenanigans that they were pulling in the ring. So the ref, the medic, everyone thought it was real, including the staff. It was pretty crazy. It's nothing one of those iffy things to do because injury is kind of a big deal. You don't want to, yeah, it's definitely a touchy subject. Oh yeah, definitely was. Uh, everyone was shocked, but he he definitely stirred up a lot of heat backstage, uh, especially since nine one one was actually called. Uh, Stan, are you familiar with a lot of UFC names by any chance? I know you watch the occasional fight, right? Uh, no, nah, not much. Like, I know some of the bigger names, but I was never a big UFC fan. Okay. Well, um, for those that do watch UFC, Tom Lawler, he was uh, suspended for. Um, some type of steroid or enhancement a couple years ago. Uh, he's picked up wrestling over the last year, and he was—he's uh, now on the indie scene. He showed up here uh, in a title match against um, Tracy Williams. Think of like a TV title, and uh, very hard hitting. Uh, made me really appreciate Tracy Williams as a more technical guy uh, too. And and Tom Lawler definitely is picking this up real fast. So. Uh, Proud chance, please come back to Lawler. Happy fans. Good match. Then there was a few other various matches with a couple real bad uh, botches. Uh, I saw one guy do a uh, flip off the top rope to the floor in which um, both guys on the other team totally missed him, and the guy goes back first straight into the ground, and you just hear this huge thud, and you're like, that's not good. And then I think a couple matches later... Uh, one uh, another guy does a suicide dive and his feet hit the top rope and he face plants into the ground on the hardwood. He cut himself open pretty bad. So, <laughs> uh, it's the Indies, Stan. <laughs> Safety's not quite as emphasized. Uh, well, I mean, just don't have the talent, I guess, that are too familiar. I mean, you know, you're supposed to catch the guy. Uh. I don't know what this obsession is with everyone needing to do a suicide dive in this day and age. Uh, what is your opinion on suicide dives? Like, every single person's arsenal, it seems. I think they look good. Like they're a little bit dated, because it's kind of hard to get impressed with someone doing a suicide dive when a match or two later you have Ricochet doing insane things over the top. <laughs> so it's most safer, fun things to watch if you can do it safely. But I don't think the suicide dives the gold standard of high risk anymore. I, I I just think if you see everyone do it, then what's even the point anymore? I mean, what what was so wrong about a baseball slide? You know. <laughs> you have something that looks a little bit better, like baseball slide. It's you'll still get some reaction for suicide dive, but a baseball slide, there's just not many reaction because it looks so tame. Hey, you want to make sure that like, the big spots in any kind of wrestling match, you want the crowd to look at that and go, wow, that's impressive. I don't think I could do that. Baseball slide, most of the crowd go, wow, I can do that. Mm. So it's definitely going to take away. 
I see what you're saying. Yeah, you gotta you gotta be all the Flash, but I don't know. I think if you uh, think of Zack Saber Jr., um, if you can do the basics well, they'll be impressive, just like Mister Perfect and Bret Hart. You just got to make it make it. You just got to make it entertaining. Well, so. to be fair, back then when you had Mister Perfect and Bret Hart doing the basics very well, that was the first taste of really technical, well-crafted wrestling, because for the 10 years prior to that, the most technical move was the body slam and big boot. So <laughs> it's kind of hard to compare what we have now to back then, because now the entire wrestling has evolved so much where you kind of need a more of a boom factor. Yeah, I, 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 can, I can get behind what you're saying. But the thing is with today's wrestling, uh, you know, just comparing, seeing all these guys do a, a suicide dive, you still got to have some type of grasp on the basics, and I just feel like that's being missed out on. Take a Baron Corbin match, for example. He, it just seems like he's in a he's in a rest hold for 75% of his matches, you know? That's because he's in a rest hold for 75% of his matches. Okay, well. <laughs> Watch any match and... Have you ever noticed that when it comes out of commercial, he's always in a headlock? Yeah, he's like, yeah with the arm with the arm above his shoulder. <laughs> uh, well, the main the main event of this Beyond Wrestling show was uh, Jordan Grace facing uh, Brian Cage, the Machine. Uh, you might remember them from uh, the All In Battle Royal that occurred. Uh, there was a lot of names in that. It was hard for too many people to really uh, stand the big out. The Jack dude that the woman picked up. Okay. Yeah. So they actually continued their little feud after All In on Twitter, and then they uh, they got booked at this show to be the main event to face each other in an intergender match. <laughs> and it didn't disappoint. That's not something you don't see anymore. It didn't disappoint. Uh, from bell to bell, it was both, competi both competitors like mounting good moves and suplexes. Yeah, it was mostly Brian Cage kind of running the show. Uh, you know, every every match I feel needs needs some sort of ring general, and uh, for Brian Cage to be doing this, it was it was quite good. Uh, the, the 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 best part of the match was for sure, at least from my take, was when Jordan Grace power bombed the big dude and then. Uh, clotheslined him outside the ring right next to me, and then she proceeded to suicide dive right into him, and I had, I had to, like, get, really jump out of the way, otherwise she was going to take me out, too. It was quite funny. <laughs> uh, Tiki, you really don't like the suicide dive at all. Well, it, it, I mean, it all depends on execution and when you do it. Uh, in this sense, Jordan Grace doing this suicide dive actually did get a crowd reaction, while... The guy who did it before seemed like to just do a do a suicide dive for the sake of doing the suicide dive. You get what I'm saying here? Okay, I can see that. Yeah, because it all came it, it all came based bad. on momentum. You know. Okay, so it's more about the making it fit into the match as opposed to doing the spot for the hell of the spot. Correct. On the main roster, WWE, like the other big problem is it's overused a lot where, yeah, Seth Rollins does it. He makes it look awesome. Especially he has that double suicide dive that he does. But then five minutes later, you have Dean Ambrose do it. Five minutes later, the next guy will do it. Five minutes later, the fourth guy in the match will do it. 
Yeah. So at that point, yeah. Yeah, that's you're exactly right. It'll take away. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a lot. There's a lot of instances to it. The other, the other thing I see, uh, just when, at least in WWE's case, whenever a guy does a suicide dive or or some some other spot like that, they always immediately go to commercial. And when they come back, they're in the rest hold. Like every match seems to be that way. But anyways, uh, Brian Cage ended up beating Jordan Grace uh, in the match, uh, very good fashion. Jordan Grace tried to mount a few comebacks, but oh well, too bad. Um, I posted a lot of this event on my Instagram at BowlingJD, Redleaf Retrocast, and Twitter, so you can see pictures and uh, a few of the videos I posted from the event. Uh, Cage ended up winning and asked Grace to be his tag partner for the upcoming tag title tournament. So hell yeah, I'm totally down for that. Nice. Yeah. So I'll be definitely going to uh, more Beyond shows in the uh, in the future. There's another one next weekend. I'm quite excited to go to that. It is in a hookah bar. Where they just take out all the tables <laughs> and throw a ring in the middle of it. <laughs> Maybe the only indie show I've ever been to was uh, Ring of Honor. And that was, I wouldn't even call that a small show. It was Super Card of Honor from last year that I want to say had 14,000 people in it. Uh, WrestleMania weekend. But that's about as small shows I've like, ever been to. Yeah, I would put, um, as we Great do on the podcast here, we put Ring of Honor and, like, New Japan kind of in its own tier at this point. Like, they're they're in competition, but they're still far away from, you know, really making some sort of impact on WWE these days. Uh, but, I, yeah, oh, yeah. Like, Ring of Honor is something everyone, like, I think, needs to go to at least once. Hey, they're just so much bigger than the New Year's competition. It's not even fair to anyone at WWE at this point. Right. Like maybe another five years down the road, I can see it, but not right now. Yeah, I would say with current momentum, New Japan's the closest in the conversation to make that. But they have deals uh, with... Say, Go on. Uh, I think the main thing that's holding them back is, hopefully this doesn't keep happening, but it's a case of New Japan develops a star that they can build around for the next couple of years, and WWE signs them and demolishes them. Oh, sure. Like, since Nakamura was a star, came to WWE, demolished. Uh, same thing with Asuka's, like Finn Balor, when he was the original Gold Club. Like, it's just, it's hard to build up a giant worldwide brand when your top t- card guys are always leaving, being signed elsewhere. Hopefully that doesn't keep happening right now. It looks like the current crop of New Japan guys seem fairly committed and want to stay with New Japan, like Omega, uh, Okada. Uh, hopefully they don't also jump ship in the next couple of years. Well, I don't see Okada doing that. He doesn't seem to uh, be interested. Um, Omega, you know, you never know with you never know with guys. I mean, the mighty dollar speaks speaks mighty handedly. You know what I mean? I personally don't want anybody else going to WWE at this point, especially with the crop of guys that do end up eventually getting called up to the main roster just to do nothing. <laughs> exactly. If they were going over and having classics, yeah, that would be awesome. I'd be happy to see that, but I'm tired of seeing the top guys that clearly have all talent show up just to kind of be fodder for the who WWE believes are the top guys. Right. 
Well, uh, speaking of top guys, let me uh, let me play this amazing um, audio drop here, and we can move on to talking about Edge in our wrestler spotlight of the cast. Know that I'm the cream of the crop. Alrighty. So we're talking about Edge here. So. Hey, bring it up. Yeah, so uh, the way we do our wrestler spotlight is uh, we do a little um, background on the guy, and then we talk about two matches that he, you know, either they, you know, it, it represents the character that they were or who they became. So for those that don't know or aren't familiar, Edge uh, came up through uh, the Attitude Era, kind of as a as a, a young blood there in the Brood. So he was kind of like this half vampire kind of thing. Nothing really happened there. It wasn't until his uh, teaming with uh, Christian, where they had tag team success, uh, I personally got to see the uh, the TLC match at um, WrestleMania 17 there in Houston many years Lucky. ago. That uh, was the um, classics. And funny enough, at the time, uh, yeah, it was a fun match, but I thought the uh, <laughs> the match that stuck out to me was the Undertaker Triple H match. <laughs> Yeah. So I think that was the that specific match was the first time you saw that last ride out of the corner uh counter that I remember from Taker. And of course he's gone on to do that many, many, many times since. Right. So Edge and Christian were had a fantastic tag team success together. Uh, the concerto was kind of their big uh five you know, five minute poses for photography. I think. Then he split into... He finally split into his own singles run. Uh, I don't remember what brought on the singles run. Do you? I think it was just uh, in terms of story or in terms of why the singles run happened? Uh, both. Hey, in, terms of, uh, in terms of story, it was uh, Edge was still in the tag team and he was given a shot at the IC title and then the Tag team was broken up with an angle where Christian was jealous of Edge's new singles IC title run. And then those two feuded. Uh, Christian went ultra heel. This is during the invasion angle. So Christian joined the uh, WCW invasion. And those two had the feud for the IC title that went back and forth. Uh, in terms of background, non-story reason, it was just one of those things where they had a good run with the tag team title, but management just viewed Edge as the top guy on that tag team, so decided to give him his own run. And what made, yeah, okay, not yeah, I do, I do remember you jog my memory there. Uh, what what makes what made that tag team breakup more more uh, interesting was, you know, they had been tag, they had been a tag team for years and successful at that in banger matches. You know, uh, it it just seems like uh, yeah. it seems like today they just seem to put two guys together and they call them a tag team for the sake of calling them a tag team. And then they just go, well, we can't think of anything interesting story wise to make. So the, now we'll just have them turn on each other. Big deal. <laughs> it's thing. They've done that for decades and decades where you have a tag team, but at some point, you get to the point where one guy has to shine out on his own, so they break up the tag team. Uh, best way to really get heat on one person or another or showcase one person or another is have a giant blow-up of the tag team. You think about 
the Rockers and Shawn Michaels breaking up. More recently, Gargano and Choppa breaking up. DIY. Yeah, but uh, they were tag team for a good great. while before that. Oh, well, the Rockers were around for a while. DIY was around for a while. Uh, even the Dudley Boys, they tried having a bit of a breakup. It just didn't really work as well. I remember the brother Devon out like outfit when they <laughs> broke them up for a little bit. Right. Oh Clearly, yeah, the, the Dudley Boys breakup was like yeah. the the dumbest thing I've ever seen. I draft Bubba Ray Dudley. Well, I'm gonna draft Devon. Ha ha ha. Uh, okay. Well, then what? Now we both they, have useless assets. <laughs> Now we don't know what to do with either guy. So, uh, luckily, uh, the Edge and Christian breakup uh, did lead to success, uh, especially on Edge's side. Christian uh, was definitely delayed, and, um, you know, he... Man, that's another cast in itself talking about Christian uh, and his what happened to him in the end. But um, let's stick to Edge here, because then, yeah, he had his IC title run. Then he, then he chased after the title. That's the key word there, chased, for about a year. Yeah. And then he, uh, then he, he go, go on. I remember that actually Edge won and then Christian beat him and then Edge chased Christian for a while. I don't remember for how long, but I, I could be mistaken about this, but I think Edge had a very lengthy run after that, but I don't remember for sure, to be honest. Yeah. With the IC title. Um, but that's good though, because they, they went through the IC title. They went through the mid card title build up Edge as a credible single star after the tag team success and and trying to build up Christian right there along with them with that mid-card title uh, again and th this is this is actually great because Edge is definitely uh, worth talking about when you're comparing you know how guys used to be built up to how they're just lacked they're lacking of building stars today so uh, let's get into the first match, which was the Money in the Bank 2005 uh, ladder match from WrestleMania 21. Uh, shortly after Edge's uh, uh, failed attempts at the, the big gold belt. I have my facts straight. And this match consisted of Jericho Benoit, Christian, current IC champ at the time, Shelton Benjamin, Edge, and Kane. Uh... All established dudes or being established in the mid card, as you and I were uh, talking cool. about during while we were rewatching this match. Few upper card guys, but no one who's a really top established top card guy at this point yet. A couple of sort of transition guys. Yeah, I agree. It was at this point essentially all mid carders. Yeah, like um, Jericho Benoit and Kane had. A single title run at the top, but it you know very yes. much forgettable. Besides a you know a singular moment on a night kind of thing. Yeah, those Ben Wall probably had the best title run of those three prior to the Money in the Bank. But the other ones, uh, I mean, Kane's title run lasted one day. Uh, Jericho had a lengthier run, only he was not even showcased as the prime champion during his run. Right. Uh, it was he was more like a third wheel in the story between hit, uh, Triple H and Stephanie, which kind of deteriorated him. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I, I think I think these six dudes uh, in the match were, were great, because if any one of them were to win, that briefcase would be meaningful for that person 
when they would cash in. And holy shit, did Edge cash in, and and uh, it kickstarted his career at the top, which is what it's supposed to so. do. Uh, what are some of your favorite? Have a, the Go on. first gimmick, the very first try that gimmick, it's always going to stand out. Like there might be better matches that come out later on, but just the originality is going to have a lot more staying power. Mm-hmm. Even now, like the Hell Cell, uh, very first one between HBK and Taker, that is still considered one of the top ones because of the originality. Even if you had more technically sound matches afterwards, or you had more brutal matches afterwards. Right. I hear you. Uh, I I, th- I really liked Kane coming out uh, to his entrance music and the fire lighting all of the ladders on fire. Uh, this is Shelton Benjamin. Uh, I think kickstarting the there has to be one athletic dude in every ladder match from now on because of his two uh, amazing spots. <laughs> I, I agree that him running up the side of the ladder was one of the major standouts of that match. And now Kofi Kingston proudly carries on that tradition of just go in there and do one spot. Like <laughs> lie down do after spot. and before the spot. <laughs> Um, Benoit's uh, top ladder headbutt all the way to the floor to Kane was was quite the thing. Uh, he ended up busting the stitches that he had on his face just totally open. It was quite quite the drop. And um, yeah. you were you were good to point out. You were good to point out that Benoit was the only babyface in this entire match, right? Well, Shelton Benjamin, I think he was a babyface, but not quite established as well as the other five. Right. Uh, but Edge was definitely playing heel at this point. Kane was a heel at this point. Uh, Y2J was a heel at this point, I believe. I think so. Uh, yeah. I think Benoit was the only 100% true babyface for it in this match. But you couldn't really tell from the crowd reaction. I mean, I, maybe I missed it, but it didn't seem like the crowd was really cheering for one person more than the others. Uh, oh. There were a lot of reactions to really very well-done spots, and they seemed to be appreciating the match overall. But and I didn't hear To any, me, that makes for a good match. For- yeah. Yeah, for even if you have a heel going up for the win... And the, well, okay. When uh, when Edge went up at the end after taking out Benoit's arm with the chair at the very end, yeah, the crowd popped with a huge boo because uh, they all wanted Benoit to win over Edge. That much was apparent to me, uh, and that led to the feud. That led yeah. to a feud later as well. I believe that was the Last Man Standing match. Right after that, uh, so. could be, but uh, don't can't say I remember that match very well. <laughs> Well, the next the next match here is uh, the hardcore match against Mick Foley at Mania 22, the very next year. So, um, two years in a row, Edge got to shine and uh, further push him up the card uh, to a permanent status. Something that uh, Jericho, Benoit, even Kane just never saw. I mean, they they touch the main event every now and again, but they wouldn't stay there. You know, they 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 go to it, they'd lose, and then go right back down to the mid card. Well, for Jericho, I think it's a tough sell just because he goes, he shows up, stays around for a year, he's at the top card, and then he just leaves. Uh, Kane was always that upper mid card. It's just, I mean, even recently when 
he should be well past the top car. He should be nowhere near it. Right. Even though last year he still was into the top card. And man, as much as I, I like Kane, it's like his historic matches, it's a little difficult to watch now. Oh, that's for sure. That's a that's a major problem I'm seeing with a lot of these guys. They keep putting them in these top events, and they just can't do that anymore. They can't. I mean, what's yeah. wrong with a guy like Kane should be in the tag division? You know, that's where he would flourish at this point in his career. Uh, that's what a lot of. You're not even sure. yeah. I don't think he didn't have to do that much. I mean, I think he's got enough of a following where he can show up every now and then, choke slam someone, do his entrance, <laughs> make things look and walk out. <laughs> well, he's showing up in Saudi Arabia, so that's going to be a thing. He's also showing up in Australia. <laughs> Marikane. He's going to have vote for me it signs with them. The, uh, so the Mick Foley mat- hardcore match at Mania 22, uh, I think this I think this was the the cementer personally for Age. I think every wrestler needs a good passing of the torch, you know. Oh, Some kind. Mick Foley passed the torch more at once. I mean, he passed the torch to Edge in this match. Uh, a couple years before that, he passed the torch to Triple H in their Hell in a Cell match. Uh, Mick Foley, he's done a lot for the business, and he's taking some ridiculous bumps for the business. Damn right he has, and this match was no exception. Like, two seconds into the match, Edge hits Foley with two extremely hard headshots with, like, a dinner plate. And it, it just makes you immediately cringe. I, I, you know, I don't support the headshots, but it definitely made the crowd and myself realize this match, we're in for quite a, a hard-hitting affair here. Really set the set the tone for the match for the whole time. I don't have a problem with headshots that are protected, but the unprotected headshots should like that doesn't need to be there anymore. Like, I'm fine with like aim for the head. The people put their arms up and they just whack them in the arms. That still looks fine, but with the two bolt like headshots, Mick Boy took it was directly right to the head. <laughs> that's yeah, that's cringeworthy. Like, no hands up, just whack. Bang. Oh, it, yeah, it was definitely Attitude Era-esque, that's for sure. Uh, immediately then, Edge goes to Spear Foley, but it turns out Mick Foley was, uh, was he wrapped himself underneath his shirt with barbed wire. And this is where Edge, I guess, uh, had his arm get bladed by Lita. Lita was uh, ringside for this one. Um, Foley bumped like a madman this entire time. It was nuts. Really getting Edge over putting every move that he was hit with. Yeah, I will say, though, Edge and Mick Foley, they both took some amazing spots during this match. So it wasn't just a case of Mick Foley taking all the bumps on his own. Edge took some pretty severe uh, bumps on his own. Like the bump tacks, that was all Edge, bareback, all over bump tacks. Uh, even towards the end, that famous table spot, like, I didn't even notice it last time when I was first watching it, but this, like, today when we were both watching it together, uh, one thing I noticed is when Edge was going for the spear, he made sure to put his head kind of on the inside, right on Mick Foley's gut, just to keep the fire out of his face. Right. I mean, it's still a dangerous place. But, like, at least Mick Foley was covered ev- everywhere except the arms when he went through the fire. 
edge. Like he had no shirt and it looked like he was going to go face first into part of the fire there for a second. Yeah, that table, that table spot on fire was absolutely insane. Uh, it looked like edge like had some severe burns of some kind on his arms. Cause he was definitely shaking so it pretty bad. He looked yeah. yeah. He definitely, like, not, he definitely sold was, it. <laughs> if it wasn't. Yeah. I think that was him plotting how to get rid of his manager at that point. It's like, whose idea was <laughs> Fire burns. There's an idea for you. They told me it was going to be fake fire. So, uh, Edge as a performer, he definitely came through. These were, these were the two years. Uh, I was kind of transitioning into the more uh, Impact TNA at the time, because uh, it was around the same time uh, they were coming out of the asylum years and getting getting on the getting on TV. So, but Edge was definitely the highlight coming through um, because shortly, I think Eddie Guerrero died um, pretty recently going into this, and then Benoit uh, was he just completely faded out of out of commission. He went to ECW and he wasn't even in the conversation, as far as I'm uh, I I remember. I don't believe Benoit ever went to ECW. No, oh, he was ECW I champ I once. I remember that. Okay. Yeah, that was just a failed brand. Thing. That was a bad idea. Hey, the problem, I think with ECW, the big problem was it was still a W product. It was still the same kind of show as Raw and SmackDown, just with a slightly different roster. Not the top guys, just some leftover guys who didn't have a story at the time. I mean, it just it didn't differentiate itself from the other two shows at all. It was on a lower tier network. There was just so many things working against it. If they changed the presentation, made it a little bit more unique, that would work. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at NXT today. NXT can work at the same time as SmackDown Raw because it's so different from the other two shows. It's a different roster, it's a different feel, the storylines are different, the emphasis on is on the wrestling. Uh, if they did something like that for ECW, I think it would have worked well. Maybe even a either a, hey, let's get some different storylines or let's have this show emphasize the new guys. There's, there's, well, that's a whole different show on its own, how bad ECW fell apart. <laughs> yeah, uh, when, when things go to TV, that's when... Uh... Uh, that's when things seem to go the go the wrong way. But luckily, um, after after Edge getting established like this, he he's t- he stayed at the top of the card. He had he he was he was the guy picked to to go into the the feuds with the likes of the Cenas, Batistas, or uh, and all that. Um, he de- to me he definitely didn't fit the mold of the top WWE guy, and uh, I'm very curious like. If it wasn't for guys like Batista uh, and like Benoit and Guerrero, unfortunately, um, let's just say they're they're not with the company anymore. Would Edge have stayed in that spot, or would he have gone the way of like the Chris Jericho or the Christian and just and just leave? I think he would have stayed at the top just because uh, think about the other guys you mentioned: Undertaker, John Cena, Batista, Eddie Guerrero. Those were Maybe not pure baby faces, but they were the guys that everyone was cheering for. 
Edge was one of the best heels in the company. At the time, you yeah, you had Triple H as the other top heel. But other than Triple H, I think Edge was the best heel the company ever had. I mean, it doesn't matter how many top guys you have. If every single one of them is a babyface, you're going to need someone on the other side of that ring that needs the crowd to hate him in order to get that awesome reaction, awesome chemistry. You so I think that's the main reason. Good timing that- on his part then? Uh, good timing and just good character work that allowed him to be that top heel that no one else seemed to be able to do yet. And plus, I think the other thing that really helped Edge a lot is, yeah, Triple H was at the same time the top heel, but he only performed on Monday nights. Right. Having that SmackDown where now Triple H is not a factor anymore. You even have these other guys stand out that aren't going to get pushed down the ladder. I think being on SmackDown really helped Edge out because he was able to be the unquestioned top heel at the time. Well, and the other thing is there there seem to be always these guys that they tried, they, uh, they at least established in the mid-card and pushed and had feuds going forward with them. I think that's what also kept him relevant. I think that's that yeah. you know if we're comparing to today, look at Shinsuke Nakamura. He had his chance at the top. Now he has the U.S. title, and we haven't like really seen it since. He hasn't even had a feud. <laughs> well, that's Shinsuke Nakamura is a completely separate set of problems. I mean, think about how big. Like think about the fall from grace Shinsuke had right after WrestleMania, compared to how big a deal he seemed like between the Royal Rumble and WrestleMania. And you had this. Awesome rumble. He won. At the very end, it came down to Shinsuke and Roman. The crowd was clearly behind one, and that person was not Roman Reigns. And all of a sudden, you had this hot build that people were looking forward to with Shinsuke and AJ. And then you go into WrestleMania. And let's, I'm not going to call their match bad. I will say it didn't quite meet expectations. So I think it's just one of those things where because they were put in such a high spot and it didn't deliver, it just plummeted Shinsuke down the entire ranks. And it didn't help that afterwards you had the continuation of that feud with until the very last match, the matches were not what you would expect from those two competitors. It's not what you expect, but so you, you should expect it from WWE. And that's kind of what I was... I was going going with because with with the time and edge, what he was able to do kept him relevant, and that's a big problem with a lot of guys today. They're 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 just not given, I think, enough time and room. And we'll definitely get when we when we start talking about Hell in a Cell. That's definitely uh, something I want to come back. But yep, that was Edge. Any any uh, final thoughts on Edge, the super the rated R superstar? Oh, one of the best best ever. Who sadly. Retired very, very young for like health problems. Yeah. From that entire Rufus Gresham era, he was one of the highlights of that entire era. And one of the things I will say, I think if it wasn't for Edge doing as good a job as he did as a heel, I don't think John Cena would be the megastar he is today. I think he was the perfect foil for Cena to go up against for so many years. Can definitely agree with that. Every every uh, every hero needs a good villain, as they say, vice versa. So, um, and we shall move on here as we approach the hour mark. I'm going to play 
Another nice little drop, and we'll get into the indie scene. Okay, so just a little, uh, this was uh, requested via Twitter that uh, the podcast should just kind of update on some of the weekly shows uh, that I like watching that isn't WWE. So, um, been really getting back into Impact Wrestling uh, since around, I want to say, the March time. I was kind of checking in with them in January after they had their big fire sale. Uh, Austin Aries has quite the stable going, uh, it's looking excellent and strong. Moose turned heel. Killer Cross from uh, AAA Lucha Libre is, uh, is finally, seems to be making a good impact, uh, coming over to the West here, or, uh, in North America, outside of Mexico. Um, Austin Aries and Falaba actually had a, quite a good fan favorite kind of title match. Uh, good performance overall. Uh, OVE versus the Lucha Bros and Cage is set for Bound for Glory. Bound for Glory is sold out. It's, um, the build hasn't been all that special, I must say. Uh, but it, hopefully over the next few weeks that, uh, Impact can keep delivering what they are. They just had their first, um, TV show in Mexico, uh, with Austin Aries facing El Tejano, the Texan, in the main event. Uh, pretty, pretty, Basic stuff. I don't expect Stan. I don't. I don't how familiar are you with uh, with um, I'm with, uh, with Lucha Libre going forward here? Uh, yeah, I watched Lucha Underground a little bit that first season, but that's been about it. Okay. Does does the style uh, like do anything for you, or are you just not used to it? No, I like the style definitely. Uh, I mean, I did. Uh, I'm sort of familiar with the Lucha Bros, mostly from the All In show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think All In was the first time I saw uh, Pentadragon. Uh, Pentagon. Probably got the name wrong. Pentagon. Yeah, and Ray Phoenix. Yep. Man, I was a fan. I was impressed. Well, good. Uh, yeah, I, I, I know highly that- recommend watching Impact right now to uh, get accustomed with a lot of a lot of these bigger indie stars that aren't signed in NXT. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I know right now uh, Ray Mysterio has just agreed to a two-year contract to come back, and he clearly is the probably the most popular, most well-known Lucha star of all time. Oh, sure. He was a game-changer. That's for sure. And I think the thing that really helped him out was the fact that he came over when Lucha was not really a well-known style yet. Well, so he was he part, stood of, that, out he with was part of that whole WCW uh, thing they were going on with the cruiserweights to get get the luchadors over that way. Him, uh, psychosis. Uh, you know what? We'll we'll get there. We'll save that for the WCW talk. So, um, Tessa Blanchard uh, is is hot fire right now in Impact. She's carrying the the Knockouts division. She she's got a little thing going on with uh, Fabi Apache. Uh, they're set for a singles match. Going forward, I'm very curious to who Impact's going to bring in to take the, or at least attempt to take the title from Tessa Blanchard, uh, whether it's a returning Rosemary or whomever. Uh, but yeah, Impact Impact is is going is going well. Excuse me, Stan. As like I've heard of Rosemary, is she injured right now? I don't think I've heard from her in a while. 
Uh, no, I don't so follow really that closely. She she was injured for a little bit, uh, but Impact has a deal going on with Rise, a new uh, women's promotion that's that started uh, fairly recently, and uh, Rosemary's been wrestling there for them. Uh, think of Impact having their own little NXT for women. That's what Rise is. So that's where Rosemary's been. Almost. Yeah, it's actually an extremely good idea. Uh, for what impact has going forward, because as soon as uh, you know, let's say there w- some of their women don't have any stories lined up for TV, then they go wrestle and rise, uh, you know, in their little independent scene. So at least they they can get better and have something over there going forward. I, I really like it. Oh, what a noble concept! People actually having stories aside from the main, like the upper car guys. <laughs> yeah, instead of just meeting a quota for to meet TV, yeah. Um, then I, then I, yeah, then I'm watching my WXW, uh, weekly show called Shotgun. Uh, their champion is still a dick. It's absolute Andy. That's going forward. Lucky Kid got the shit kicked out of him by Al Ani and Tarkin Aslan. Uh, so that's, that feud's continuing there. I'm very curious to see where that's going, going, uh, where it's going to go. Um, putting in some good, good, good main events with clean finishes, hyping up everyone for, uh, World Tag Team League. Uh, and all the cards were announced uh, to take place October 5th through the 7th, including the all-women's pay-per-view. It's not, it's returning for, I believe, the fourth straight year in WXW. Uh, I think the match I'm looking forward to the most is the Lucha Bros, uh, Pentagon and Phoenix facing Ringkampf of Walter and Timothy Thatcher. That's the tag match I'm looking forward to the most. And the Femme Fatales pay-per-view is Tony Storm versus Mako Satamora uh, in a match there, which is a possible, I believe, semi-final matchup for the Mae Young Classic. Very curious about uh, which one's going to air first if that's if that does happen for the Mae Young Classic. I'm still not spoiled on results. Let's keep it that way. Yeah, I'm trying to make sure I'm spoiled by any results in Mae Young Classic. I'm just enjoying the matches on a weekly basis. Yeah. I'm, I'm just, I'm like, if that does happen, I'm very curious to see what would, what would air first. <laughs> So, um, there were some big shows that happened. Uh, the CMLL, the big Mexican uh, promotion there, had its 85th anniversary show. Uh, I was able to watch it on Honor Club via Ring of Honor. Uh, the main event was a best... Okay, this was confusing as fuck. It was a main event, best of seven, so first of four falls. That's what I think it was. Not really clear. There wasn't subtitles or anything. <laughs> I just had to kind of... I All I know is it was a tag match, and uh, who, whomever lost the tag match, both guys would have to uh, get their hair uh, shaved off their heads. Uh, Baker Lake now following on the mixer. Baker Lake. So there was lots and lots of high-flying action. Uh, no complaint. It was a really cool match to go see uh, guys just go out and do their spots. Uh, crowd was certainly hot for it the entire time. Both teams worked in tandem very well. They timed everything. Uh, it looked a lot like synchronized divers at times. It was quite interesting. Um, that's what I like about seeing like some the Lucha Libre. Uh, it's just a do- different style. Uh, I think my favorite spot in the match was uh, Volador Jr. jumping from the top turnbuckle onto both uh, Cavernario and Rush. Rush. As they were sitting across a bunch of fans in the front row. <laughs> and it looked like... Uh, Voldor's like head or uh, leg hit a fan who was like who was on his phone videoing the whole thing. So he hits a fan and it's like whatever. <laughs> uh, 
it's uh, bound to happen every now and then. Yeah, yeah. You just you just dive headfirst into a fan. It happens. <laughs> the fan certainly didn't seem to care. Hey. And it's Mexico, so it's not like anyone's gonna get charges hey. pressed. I remember a couple years back when they had the Brock Lesnar versus Seth Rollins feud, and Brock ripped the door off the car and threw it into the crowd and hit a kid. Oh shit! I don't, it I happens don't remember on that. The- <laughs> oh, you don't remember? Yeah, it was the entire show was Triple H presented Seth Rollins with a brand new shiny car. Lesnar came in, destroyed the car. Oh, with ripped the, the door accident, I, hit- I remember that. I didn't know yep. that it hit the- hit a kid. <laughs> yeah, it hit a kid. Oh god! So like, these things happen. <laughs> just, you know, it can happen on the main roster. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, okay, so so this, this, this Lucha Libre match at at the anniversary show, the, it was all good, and then the finish happens. Uh, Taven mistimes a mid-rope spring kick, so think of, uh, Cody Rhodes' beautiful disaster kick, hits Volador, and then he just kind of yells at him, and then walks casually to the side of the ring, yelling at Volador, and then Rush just pinned him. And then Cavernaro was grabbing Taven's leg so he couldn't break up the pin... But it did, Taven didn't even try to break up the pin. So then I guess Taven's Rudo now, which means heel in, in uh, Mexico. And then he was also upset about getting his head shaved, but he chose to basically lose the match on purpose at that point. I don't know. Good match, but the end. It was good, good above average match for Mexico, but the ending was so what the fuck. I don't know what was going on there. <laughs> Someone just mess up a spot and someone else got pissed? I don't know. I Definitely. mean, you can watch a lot of CMLL's uh, stuff every Friday on on their YouTube channel. It's all free. Uh, so I have seen made events where guys just get pissed off at each other. They start yelling at each other and just purposely mess up a match. Um, you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility, but this is Matt Taven. You know, he's he's really good. He's a Ring of Honor guy. He's you know, he's wrestling in Mexico for this for for this feud, and uh, that doesn't seem like something he would do. It, it, you know, if it was someone else in the in the Mexican promotion, yeah, I'd might be more, like if it was um, Caristico or Mystico or someone like that, I would I would I would be more inclined to believe that. I just think this mat the the uh, the ending was just a clusterfuck. I I, I think there was definitely some miscommunication. Uh, but moving on. You know what that awesome event that's ruined by the enemy. You can have bad parts of any event, but if you screw up the ending, it can really bring down the best of events. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, I'm going to take this opportunity now to uh, to say if you've enjoyed the show so far, then head on over to iTunes or Stitcher and leave us a nice little review at Redleaf Retrocast. Go on to the YouTube page, Redleaf Retrocast. If you want to hit me up on Twitter or Instagram, it's at BullingJD. So, um, I'm going to play a nice little intro drop here, and that'll get us into a different section uh, in which my buddy Jay from the Smack It Down podcast will talk about progress and Revolution Pro Wrestling, and when we come and New Japan Pro Wrestling, of what's been going on there on the Destruction Tour, the end, and then when we come back, Stan and I will be talking about all things WWE, Hell in a Cell, and NXT, and then going into WC.
Alrighty. I'm joined here with my buddy Jay now, the guy who saves the podcast, or the New Japan Specialist, as I like calling you now. How you doing, Hey, Jay? I have a role. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm good, I'm good. Just finished recording an episode of Smack It Down. There you go. Got anything else you want to plug? <laughs> no, nah, that's about it. I can do all that on the way out. Alrighty. Well, we're here to talk about, this is the time of the podcast here, where myself and Jay are going to discuss Progress Chapter 75. Revolution Pro Wrestling's British J-Cup, and a little show that took place right before that. And we're going to finish off this part of the section with New Japan Destruction Tour and how that finished off. And uh, the fallout coming from it. Um, very exciting. Very exciting wrestling. Uh, very Three different, three very different wrestling shows, I must say. For sure, for sure. Out of these ones, I think I'm leaning more towards either Progress or New Japan. There was something with that Red Pro show that just didn't stick with me. That's fine. I mean, it's it's very straightforward. It's not story-oriented. Uh, you know, um, I believe... I, you know what? There was a shoot interview with Eli Drake from Impact recently, and he goes, uh, wrestling without stories or incentive... Um, I'm, I'm paraphrasing his words. Wrestling without story or incentive is killing wrestling. And he was taking jabs at WWE for just throwing out matches with seemingly no reason other than to fill time. Uh, he mentioned a lot of independent shows that don't bother trying to have any sort of story in their matches. It's just go out there and do cool moves. And that's why they can't get... Uh, audiences over 75 people, much like the Beyond show I went to, even though it was very entertaining and there was a few matches, as I mentioned earlier, with its own little story, will it be taken into the next show? No, it won't. I get what Eli Drake's saying. Are you an Eli Drake fan? Um, yes and no. If that, mm. like, yes and no. And I'm gonna have to get a dummy. Yeah, drop. <laughs> nice. Or, or as he's going along in Mexico, he's going, Tonto, see? <laughs> Is that like dummy? Yeah, it's, it's like dummy, yeah, in Spanish. Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. So let's talk about Progress cuatro. 75 here. Let's get going. Got a lot to lot Alrighty, to let's do this. So, Progress Chapter 75. I'm going to say this right now. Must watch show. Oh, yeah, especially that main event. That main event was an hour's worth of craziness. Oh, so good. So, Progress... Um, they, I want to say they took off in, in early 2016, and that's kind of when I started. I, I got to them in mid to late 2016. I forget when their service launched, but that's besides the point. This show was amazing. Uh, way too much to talk about. Uh, they have had their tag team Thunder Bastard series going along. It's quite confusing at this point. Just They just throw tag teams together. They insert... Uh, they get points, and... Uh, on there, as far as I know, I hope I'm getting this somewhat right, just to clear this up, because Jay, you said previously before we started, that mm -hmm. uh, it's very confusing. And on their American tour, when they came over to the States here, uh, their new champions were crowned, and I think that kind of nulled out the Thunder Bastard series in itself. Um, they also had a get three wins on the tour in a row, and you get a title shot stipulation. Uh, so that happened a few times on the tour. But regardless... That explains why the Wembley show is so convoluted then for the tag team thing. Yeah, so basically it's... Uh, 
a number of teams, I guess, are tied with points or whatever it may be. It's just it, the Wembley show coming up at the end of September here, uh, which is heavily, heavily advertised for progress. It's one of the biggest independent shows in the UK in decades. Um, it's just a slew of their tag team divisions all going for the same title. So. Yep. Uh, Flamita and Bandito, I believe, are still the current tag champs. <laughs> That's what it said earlier when I was previewing the show. Yeah, I I believe it was the Chicago show, which I haven't watched yet, or that match. Um, that 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 is the one that they wanted. It's either that one or the Detroit. It's got to be two. <laughs> it's one of the two. It's one of those two. So, uh, the second half of the show is what I want to focus on, which is which first starts out with the number one contender match. Uh, which is Tyler Bate versus Mark Haskins. Now, Jay, you're familiar well, with both these guys, or just Tyler Bate? I uh, know I'm familiar with both of them. Uh, Haskins works a bit in Defiant. Uh, I like that little promotion. Mm-hmm. Uh, what'd you think of this match here? I thought it was really good. Like, Haskins obviously had the strength advantage over Bate. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah. You think Haskins had the strength advantage? Oh, I thought he did. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, Haskins had wrong? the technical advantage, that's for sure. I well, think. Yeah, but dude, you need strength to do technical stuff. In a way. I mean, but then you look at Zack Sabre Jr. and you would... Jesus <laughs> Christ, that motorbike is loud. <laughs> uh, there, was, there was a lot of very smooth technical exchanges and reversals. Um, I thought the reversals in this match came too fast, honestly. Because then it wasn't... Like, the flow was too quick for it. But I guess they were kind of pressed for time due to the main event going to be so long. Yeah, but dude, like as we saw with All In, like a quick match is can still be a good match. It can still be entertaining. I had no problems with this match. It, it's it's just me kind of looking at things way too critically. <laughs> uh, I Look thought Haskins you. did fantastic limb work on bait, and the the selling bait did where he started doing like for a good chunk of. The, like a certain period all the of time. one-legged like Germans and stuff. Exactly. Yeah, that was cool. I I think that is a lost art in Tyler Bate. I I'm starting to see that more and more. Uh, at least coming from out of the summer, Tyler Bate's doing this a lot more in his matches, and it, I think it really makes you invested as a viewer. Like, how is he going to pull off these moves? You know, what? How is he going to yep. overcome this? And uh, Haskins is always so good at at doing things like that. One of the most underrated guys in the UK. And Europe performing these days. I, I've seen this guy perform live a few times. Uh, I love Haskins. Uh, very nice guy. Had a couple drinks with him before as well, so maybe I'm a little biased there. <laughs> is he a, um, a good drinker, or is he like, yeah, can he hold his alcohol well? Oh, he didn't drink that much, but he is, he is a very chill guy, that's for sure. You're supposed to, a lot of the people do. You're supposed to be like, yeah, I had seven drinks with him is like perfect bloke doesn't get drunk he can hold his liquor really well <laughs> uh but bait reverses a uh reverses haskins finisher straight into the tyler driver 97 for the win he is the number one contender for Valter's progress championship title which will be now defended at wembley in the main event very hype for the match um fantastic stuff simple as that it was a good it was a good straight match it was a very good straight match, but dude, you've ruined it. Like, dude, Jimmy Havoc could be in there too if he beats Osprey. Um. Well, I. Th oh, if yes, that was that was it. If Havoc 
beats Osprey, he's then in the main event. That was a triple threat, then, if I'm not mistaken. Right. I think he would have been added to it. Uh, Indeed, you are correct. Yeah. So, leading us into the main event, Havoc, Jimmy Havoc versus Will Ospreay, two out of three falls. Okay, where do I even begin with this one? <laughs> well, that video package is actually really good. It explained to people who haven't seen the build-up to this, like all the matches that him mm-hmm. and Ospreay have had. It did a very good job catching like new fans up. Oh yeah, and, fantastic. Dude, where you start with this is like the friggin' um the Osprey clones coming out and setting up tables. <laughs> yeah, immediately. The total match bell to bell went forty three minutes. Not yeah, including the entrances and everything. Didn't feel like it dragged at all though with the amount of spots that they did in this. No, it was a very quick forty three minutes. Uh, it's been a while yep. since I've seen an epic like this that I just didn't check the clock. You know, I watched the Noah match, the you know, the the occasional New Japan match and there's always at least once or twice during those 30 plus minute matches that I go, how much time has passed in this Havoc yeah, Osprey match? S- not once. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, neither here. Like I because it's like on demand and like the it's not live stream, like I kept checking to see how long was left. But I was mostly to see how much like crap they could fit in. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. It's like bell to bell. This thing was just balls to the walls. Yeah, uh, I, I, yeah, like you said, the video package of this match was insane because it, it, it really got you down uh, to know like how much the axe plays in it plays into their little rivalry, how far back it is, how much havoc was such a big deal in progress prior, and this is where Osprey kind of got his his big break was through progress. Um, Wrestling in them venom shorts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but holy shit! The match started out with Osprey um, coming out, you know, like a babyface, and then as he was walking to the ring, people started booing him and not liking him, and he immediately changed his. He pulled a a one eighty in his personality, essentially. And yes, yes, a he psychotic did. heel. <laughs> Dude, this crowd did not like Osprey, and they had some very creative ways of showing it. <laughs> this is why I love watching British wrestling because the crowds are so they, they they don't just come they don't they don't go to every match and just say this is awesome or they start booing throwing beach balls down it, it they'll throw beer at the people they'll they'll uh they'll come up with soccer chants and or football chants and uh, just put a unique spin on everything it's always so fun um see I was gonna say like the reason I like progress as much as I do dude is like. It's for adults, unlike other companies out there. Mm-hmm. And, like, there was no hand-holding in this. Like, if you didn't keep up with it, like, they weren't going to show replays or anything like that. As you said, the crowd, man, those those soccer chants and stuff at Osprey were crazy. Oh, yeah. Osprey going around with a psychotic look. Uh, all, you know, j- immediately start. Jimmy Havoc comes out. Instead of being angry and flipping the crowd off, he just goes stone-faced, concentrating on the match. As babyface as a Jimmy Havoc character can be. <laughs> yeah, which is probably a twain Uh, yeah, that's he, he yeah, because over the course of the last few weeks, Jimmy Havoc, um, and and as he's been tagging with Mark Haskins, uh, has become this sympathetic babyface character with the crowd because yeah, he built progress on his back. It started at Super Strong Style 16 with his with his promo of just being like, you guys are you you guys in the uh, promotion. You know, you love Will Ospreay, 
Meanwhile, I've broken my back for this company, and you've done nothing for me. You we because there was a there was a past match where Havoc and Osprey had a leave. I believe it was a leave. Uh, yeah, loser leaves progress, and then Osprey was back in like six months. Yeah, and then Havoc ended up leaving for I think it was like a year, a or, year two. or so. Yeah, yeah, and I came in when he was gone. So when he came back, I was like, "Who the hell's this guy?" <laughs> oh man, no you don't idea. know Jimmy Havoc. You're about to find out who Jimmy Havoc is. Exactly. I mean, even when I started this po- podcast, I still like I I recognized the name. I'd seen him in a couple matches. He's very unique. And um, I had to go back and watch, you know, this Havoc Osprey rivalry, and it's like, oh my god, this is really, really good. So yeah, well, from what I've seen of it, it was really good. Yeah, and that that it's these two guys that really changed progress, and uh, this this is I, I'm saying this right now. This is one of my top three indie show indie matches of the year. I can say why, but what else is on that list? Just out of curiosity, uh, do you Walter, count New Japan as uh, well, um, New, Japan's in its a, New Japan and Ring of Honor matches are in its own category, uh, but the Walter Dragunov and the Kento Miyahara Fuji match um, are also in that top three. Gotcha. I haven't seen either of those. Apparently there was some um, really good matches at uh, friggin' Bola recently too, but yeah, that so is not going to get shown 20, for like yeah. eight months. Yeah, maybe we'll see it in 2019. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Does that then count as a 2018 match, or does that count as a 2019 match? It's whatever it goes out to the public, as far as I'm concerned. 2020, gotcha. Yeah, right. So, what were some of your favorite spots in this? Because I, I loved Osprey flipping off the crowd. I loved, uh, I loved how they didn't do fucking crazy, stupid spots at the start. They built up to everything in this match. Something that I honestly think is a lost art as well in a lot of wrestling these days. They did, they did. Dude, that I'm the table spot was definitely something. The, let's see here, I loved, uh, I think there was both instances where a table was set up outside, and uh, as the other guy was trying to put him through it from apron to the outside, uh, they both just straight jumped over the table to avoid going through it. Yep, that happened. Little things like that. Uh, Osprey jumping from, like, this... Oh, the, um, the speakers... It was yeah, speakers. There's giant speakers jumping over he the like crowd. Jumps essentially, over, yeah, over the crowd, drops the elbow, and like through one of the one of the two tables. Mm-hmm. There um, was that. Um, I don't know what it was called. It was like the something of Essex, like off the um the railing, and like the t- tables didn't break, and like they land on their neck. Okay, so uh, I believe it. Let's see. Uh, I had to go back and get timestamps for when this stuff happened. So the uh, the speaker leap came in at 20 minutes. Radio. Uh, and then 30 minutes, the railing spot happened, and, uh, Osprey has this move, he, he, uh, he pulls out every now and again, called, it's basically a flipping brain buster. Uh, so think oh, of a Canadian destroyer, but it's a brain buster. Yep, sounds safe. Uh, it's called the Essex Destroyer, because he's from Essex, England. And, right, um, I knew it was the Essex something, I just wasn't if, sure what. If you listen closely... Uh, to the people talking, because the uh, the mic was, I guess, too close to Osprey and Havoc. Havoc actually goes to Osprey before they're about to do that that spot from the railing uh, to into the uh, tables on the floor. Havoc goes, "I don't know if I can do this, man. I'm exhausted." And and Osprey goes, "Just trust me." And then they do it. That is a crazy amount of trust between two performers. Yeah, for sure, for sure, and- for sure. Now, I have a question for you. With the tables not breaking there like they were supposed to, does that make the spot better for you or worse for you? 
Oh, it always makes it so much worse. Because if you if you if you slow that down and put it in slow motion, you can look at you can see gifs and whatnot online of this happening where they they hit the table like the spot is performed and they flip correctly, right? No one lands on mm-hmm. their neck or anything. Um, they land on their shoulders properly, both guys. Uh, however, the table seems to warp and flip up like rubber, so they just bounce off it. That's when the whiplash hits you. That's what's really wow. bad. Well, that was the I am table. I am the table spot that I was talking about. This is... Uh, it, seem, it seems every podcast now, there's a table spot in which the table does not break in Europe. You, you it's usually in New oh. Japan, though. Usually in New Japan. Like, the New Japan tables don't break all the way, while the European tables, you just straight bounce off it, or the legs will cr- cripple underneath. It, it, oh, it's so horrible. Well, okay. So let's get to the end of this match because the the spots were great. Both guys, psycho- the psychology in the match was utterly out of this world. Uh, they both hit each other's finishes at one stage. Like Osprey hit the purple. No, the what was it? The acid rainmaker. Acid rainmaker. Yeah. And um, friggin' uh, <laughs> havoc hits the Oscutter. Yeah. And then it ends in a ridiculous way, in my opinion. So if you this is when this is where the you have to know a little bit about progress's history for this to kind of make sense. And uh, the I, I they did a good job of explaining it. They did, yeah. The commentators did an amazing job. Whenever uh, so, there was ref spots where uh, Osprey and Havoc would would get a near fall, get really mad at the ref in the ring, and, and then put him through a table. And then put him through a table. And that particular ref was the previous ref in their previous matches. So, um, let's see here. Uh, I wrote down each guy's, uh, hat. Let's see here. Uh, uh, yeah. Paul Robinson was the special guest referee. He has a big history in death matches between, uh, Both these Osprey guys. and going over to defiant with, with, uh, uh, with Osprey to make the, uh, swords of Essex stable. um, Another like uh, so Paul Robinson gets taken out inadvertently. Then uh, let's see here. Chris Roberts comes out to count the next fall, but Osprey kicks out. Havocs then puts Roberts through a table because that's when Death Valley drives him through a table. Right, yeah. That's the uh, so uh, Roberts was the guy who counted when Osprey won the title from Havoc, and commentary made this all clear, so that was very nice, because even I forgot about a couple, like, who was the ref that was involved during that moment of the past, you know, kind of deal. Osprey at one point hit a 6.30, and then the owner of Progress was about to count and got pulled out by Paul Robinson, and then Paul Robinson brings the symbolic axe in, uh, referencing more history of the feud. It just goes on and on right until the finish. And why don't you tell me about the finish, Jay? So, first of all, dude, would you take an axe to the balls? (laughs) I would not. (laughs) Oh, another little touch here, too, which neither of us have brought up. Did you notice what they were wearing? Um... As in what their attire, wrestling attires were? Yes. Did you yeah. get the, uh, the symbolicness of both of them? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So Havoc was wearing the, his, his signature white with the, uh, with, like, the blood splatter all over him to reference his... With the Punisher logo? Yep. Right. Reference uh, who he used to be, and he brought that kind of guy that brought... He brought that guy back, and Osprey's 
uh, pants attire was kind of a stitching of all his past progress pants together. <laughs> ah, but the color scheme dude was supposed to be the Joker. That's what it ended up being. It was. <laughs> he was I thought it was like brilliant. the Joker the whole time. I thought it was brilliant. And as for this ending scene, dude, like I said, I'm not taking an axe to the balls. <laughs> I was actually um, really surprised with the whole Paul Robinson double stomps onto Havoc's face right at yeah, the end. Yes, so that, that was that was nasty. Did not see it coming. And then uh, Osprey sold it well with a shocked face, very hesitant to pin. It was the um the Owens face from when Triple H gave the Universal title. Yeah, it was kind of like that. I think yeah. I think Osprey sold it much better personally. And, yeah, uh, he did, but yeah. it's just like for reference to people who may not know what we mean. Yeah. So the dubs dubs is more popular. Let's be honest here; it's just not good. True. True. Much as as much as we uh, will complain about it. It is the most popular. It's the biggest ticket in town. Yep. So that sets up that set up a uh, so Osprey wins and that set up a Paul Robinson wants havoc at Wembley, and uh, I'm down. Yes, I'm I. I havoc and Osprey show what they call respect <laughs> at the end of it. Yeah, it's like a high five. <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> um, yeah, it's one of the few five star matches that I'll I'll put on this year for sure that's outside of New Japan. For sure, for sure. With this being said though, um I think that the uh Havoc and what's his name? I've forgotten. Robinson? Not Osprey, but the other guy. Robinson. Robinson. I think that matches a no DQ, which it probably needs to be. Oh absolutely. One hundred percent it has to be no DQ. For sure. I wonder how the um like they're gonna set up the Wembley Arena because like I just it's gonna be really different compared to where they were for like past shows. It's gonna be much bigger. I'm I'm they're still having trouble selling tickets. It seems I don't know why. I mean, dude, do you know how many people could fit in there? Well, it's not the Wembley Arena. It's the arena like down the streets, the S S D Arena or something. But it does fit like I think it's like ten thousand people or something. Hmm. Maybe it's too close to all in. Yeah. I, I, hey, if you can, if if they can fit, you know, three thousand people in there, then fantastic. That's a, that's progress, if you ask me. <laughs> this uh, is progress. Well, let's let's move on to Revolution Pro Wrestling and the British J Cup. As I play, let's see, what drop am I gonna play? Play Jushin Thunder Lego. I don't have that drop. What good are you then? Jushin Thunder Liger's theme song is mm. awesome. Hmm. Steiner. But I'm a genetic freak, and I'm not normal. So you got a 25% at Is it a 33% chance? Yes, it was. Excellent. Uh. Alrighty. So Jay, I introduced you into watching some Rev Pro. Uh, fairly you recently did, which because of the Jacob. I didn't get to finish. I'm not going to lie to you. Only watched. Most of night one, I had not in the background while I was playing Spider Man, so I saw bits That's and pieces. Uh, well, just, well, let's just run down it real quick then. So, Brita, RPW has a history with New Japan. Uh, they even like their next pay per view event is essentially Revolution Pro Wrestling versus New Japan. But um, they Ooh, had their that? version. Uh, That's in a few weeks here. <laughs> cool. Like and, everything else. Yeah, everything's in a few weeks. October's insane. So, they had their version of the best of the Super Juniors, but it was more like a King of the Ring for the Super Juniors. 
and it featured uh, Jushin Thunder Liger, El Phantasmo, uh, David's heel David Star, um, Kushida, uh, Bandita, Swan, Bandita. Uh, I don't think Flamita. No, he was in. It. He was in it as well. Yawn Sher, Rocky Romero. Yeah, every all of Rapongi 3K was in it. So there were some good names there. Uh, I think. I think. Um, I think they missed out on some different kind of booking going on, but hey, uh, each his own. Uh, so I'm just going to run down uh, night one right fast. Liger and Zack Sabre Jr. had a good technical exchange match. Uh, the main event, Rapongi 3K versus Aussie Open and El Fantasma was quite good. Uh, there's a reason why Rocky Romero and Yo and Sho are a good trios team. I think they should go for the trios title in New Japan because they, they probably should. They probably they should. Probably should. Get it off those Tongans. Yep. Uh, I think one of my favorite matches was El Phantasmo uh, versus Bandito, but it only went 10 minutes. Lots of good hot move exchanges, and that was round one, and Bandito lost. I was quite quite upset with that yeah, one. I thought that they were going to like do something with him here because he's been on fire lately. Bandito has been on fire, and um, it ended up leading to something better down the line, especially with Bandito's performance in Bola. So maybe RPW had its own little thing here. And then Rich Swan beat his partner Flamita in similar fashion. Ten minutes, hot move exchanges, so good stuff there. Um, could be better. Uh, so I was extremely disappointed that both Flam uh, Bandito and Flamita went out in round one, round one, but that led to a tag match at night two. And uh, the main event was CCK defeats Rinkampf. <laughs> yeah, so CCK. Dude, there is now there is now CCK uh, CCK Kampf. CCK or CC Kampf. Yeah, CC yeah. Kampf now. Yeah, that's a yeah. that's a weird team. But um, CCK yeah. here consisted of Chris Brooks and Jonathan Gresham, which I got to see live myself in uh, in Boston on the Progress Tour. Cool. Uh, this led to fantastic exchanges between Walter and Jonathan Gresham. It was the highlight of the match. Every time, like. Seeing Gresham attempt to chop Walter, and then seeing this little, little black dude against this giant white Austrian, I'm just going, "Oh no, <laughs> you're going to die." <laughs> uh, and and Gresham was doing, he's been doing just fantastic. He's on fire the last couple of months, Jonathan Gresham. Whether it's in tag team stuff or singles matches, he always seems to steal whatever match he's a part of. And Walter was just a good compliment compliment to him. Did you get to the tag match? Uh, that was the final match, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, of night one? Mm-hmm. Then yes, I would have said that. Cool. So, night two of the J-Cup. This is the ending. Uh, Liger was getting the better of El Phantasmo. Then Phantasmo plays Possum and rolls up the defending champ. So, take that for what it's worth. Really fun tag <laughs> matches between Aussie Open and Bandito and Flamita. What do you think Fucking of Aussie Open? Awesome. Uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't quite like them at first because a lot of their matches were getting samey. Uh, however, uh, Fletcher, the the skinnier dude of the two, because Mark Davis <laughs> is a, just a giant Aussie guy. Um, he is. He looks like he drinks a lot of beer. Oh yeah. Over the course of this year, Fletcher has uh, vastly improved in everything he does. He's even put on some muscle weight, uh, which makes him look a lot better. Beyond, he looked way too skinny. He did. Indeed yeah. he did. Uh, he looked sickly, I'll be honest. 
Um, and he just didn't seem like he, he didn't he wasn't flowing very well in the ring together. But but again, over the course of this year, uh, Fletcher and uh, Mark Davis and Aussie Open like their their matches have improved. Both guys' chemistry have improved. Um, just at Summer Sizzler, they had a a banger of a tag match. So and this was no exception. Bandito and Flamita are just off the chains good, and they're so young. <laughs> Yes, yes, they are. Then that was followed by uh, one of my favorite tag teams in the world right now, arguably the best in the world, which is LAX, and they faced Ringkampf, and I lost my mind. Oh, I gotta watch that now. Don't. I'm, I'm just gonna take off my headset for a minute while yeah. you don't spoil the ending for no, me, no, no, and I'll no, be no. back in a moment. It was fantastic tag action. <laughs> okay, because that yeah. sounds amazing. It was a. Th- it was obviously Thatcher and Walter versus. Um. Yeah. LAX. Santana, yeah, Santana. Yep, Santana. Yep. And Ortiz. So, it's it's as good as you can imagine with the with Ringcom doing hard hitting and LAX doing LAX stuff. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, I'm in. Like, I okay. You're familiar with Tim or Timothy Thatcher. Have you correct? Have you seen him in singles matches very often? No, but apparently, dude, him and Walter had a match at um Bola. Yeah, and I can imagine they. Uh, tried to kill each other yeah they beat each other uh, to to the brink of death (laughs) yeah yeah that's what I've heard I've seen I've seen Thatcher live a couple times to revolve I don't know what it is but he just doesn't do it for me much as a fan like I do appreciate his ring work especially his chemistry and tag teams whether it's with Chris Brooks or Walter Mm -hmm. but I, I don't know maybe it's his demeanor in the ring Maybe it's his facial expressions. I don't know. He just doesn't do it for me. What What is your take on Timothy Thatcher? I think he's good in ring, but I completely agree with you with the facial stuff. Like, there's just something missing. Yeah, there's there's something. He he's missing something for me. I would for like sure. to say though the the entrance that um him and Chris Brooks had at uh, the Evolve show for their tag team match was quite entertaining. <laughs> it was pretty funny. Yeah, Chris Brooks is pretending to be Walter. They try to do the um the ring comp entrance. It's great. Yeah. And then like Thatcher goes like just death glares him. Yeah. So the those two tag matches are definitely, I think, must watch of uh night two of the J Cup here. Um I love I, I loved all four of those teams. Again, Tag League, whether it's Junior Tag League in New Japan or Tag League in for WXW coming up. Oh my god, tag team wrestling could not be better. Than ever outside of WWE disclaimer. <laughs> oh god, there's a freaking one in WXW that I completely forgot about. Ugh. Ring comp versus the Lucha Bros, man. Okay, that sounds really good. Yeah. What night's that? I think that's night two. Wow, they're blowing that load early, are they? Uh that's just like an that's just part of the block. That's just a block match. <laughs> yeah, but like you could say that for the ending, like for the final night, couldn't you? Could. It'd probably be the smart thing to do. Like, nah. it's a must-say match. No, because the way WXW books their stuff, you know, the foreigners get booked well, but they don't win every time. Like, you can kind of assume... WXW want to get, wants to get their own guys over, which makes sense for a promotion. You don't want to bring in part-timers and have them go over all the time, you know? We're in confident defending this year, aren't they? Uh, so they're the defending champions, and the current champions are Av- uh, Monster Consulting, Avalanche and Nero. You know, what I mean, like the defending um, tag league champs. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, the the winner gets the titles. 
Wait, the winner gets the tag titles. Yeah, I, I had a brain fart in the previous uh, podcast episode that that is the stipulation of tag league. Wait, so how the hell does that work? Tag champs are in it, and they have to defend their defend their titles. If they don't win tag league, they lose the titles. <laughs> that's really freaking stupid. So what is it like? Blocks versus blocks? I'm guessing. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. So ultimately, then you would want the defending champs to go up against whoever is in the other block. Yeah, I mean, my prediction is it's going to be Raincom versus Monster Consulting in the finals. Who would you put over? Raincom. Has Volta held the um the tag titles? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I I think I think uh, you have Rinkoff do it, and then that that'll create fresh rivalries going forward. So okie dokie. Yeah. Um. So let's move on with the J Cup here. A four way elimination match finals. It came down to Rich Swan, Rocky Romero, El Fantasmo, and Kushida. Uh. So all those other matches, I I, I would say they're not totally worth watching i guess maybe the rocky romero sh- i think it was i think he faced yo was pretty fun to watch just because it's Rapongi 3k going going against each other but really it was they were just kind of you know 10 minute matches just to you know move along move Progress along with the, the story yeah. to the finals yeah yeah um and i like i like i like this idea of a four-way elimination match to finish off a finish off this kind of tournament i think it brings more story elements to it and more um you know, it's it's not just one v one. It's it's different, is what I'm saying. I kind of like that. Well, it's elimination too, which is good because it's like nice to all of the fittest. Yes. We don't see that many elimination like four ways or three ways anymore. Yeah, I really love elimination matches. I mean, shit. When so I, do I play I. a wrestling video game, it's always an elimination match. <laughs> Every time. how's that fire pro going for you? Fantastic. <laughs> King hate you. Yeah. I really do. So the the match goes pretty well with just amazing, ama- amazing, amazing exchanges and moves for Kushida specifically. That was until David Starr comes out. Now, David Starr's the British cruiserweight champion. Why isn't he in the finals? Well, Kushida beat him, and David Starr was quite upset with that. <laughs> well, dude, David Starr is David Starr. Hey, you are David Starr. Yes, you are David Starr. He's clap, your favorite clap. Wrestler's favorite wrestler. <laughs> he is your he's the cream in your coffee yeah so he's he was mad that he got eliminated by Kushida so a little continuity here he hits Kushida with the title Romero pins him so good it is that the first elimination uh yes yes wow okay I thought that would have saved that angle for the end of it nope hmm. nope 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 so it, it gets it gets the um the story out of the way you get continuity and then you can have the rest of the match without the shenanigans no so I think this was good yeah, talking. Yep. Um, so then uh, El Fantasmo uh, simply super kicks Romero and pins him. I, I didn't really like that elimination. I, I mean, so just like after the Kushida elimination? Like yeah, pretty it much was really shortly after that. So yep. then the rest of the match goes 1v1 for like 10 to 12 minutes here, where it's Rich Swan and Fantasmo doing decent, decent enough exchanges. Uh, lots of flippy shit, as you can imagine. I didn't believe for one second once Romero was out that Rich Swan was going to win. He's just Rich Swan seems to be just going around to all these other promotions, just filling in these major spots. You know, we saw him in Triple Mania. We did. You know, Dude, I was going to ask, no was reason. this a better elimination match than the um the Fatal Four Way or not? <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> okay, I'm Easily. I'm glad. Easily. But ultimately, Phantasmo hits a uh, hits a Swanton bomb like halfway across the ring, uh, then does a uh, basically the best moonsault ever, double spring moonsault, and wins the J Cup. Cool. 
though. I think Kushida was the MVP of the tournament easily. He was the best singles performer by far in this whole thing. But the surprisingly enough, for a, for a a whole two night event that was supposed to be uh, focused on you know a single elimination tournament here up until the fatal four way, the tag matches were the best matches of the whole fucking show. <laughs> that seems really strange. I mean, you came for the singles matches, and I came out of it going, I love those tag matches. So maybe that's just a good show overall in, in the end? Maybe that we're just trying to get to the finals? Maybe. 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 Yeah. So it looks like we're going to get David Starr versus El Phantasmo again for the Cruiserweight title uh, down the line I soon, think he's defending enough. against Kushida first, isn't he? Mm, well, Kushida did beat him, and I would rather see that match first before another Phantasmo... David Starr match since I've seen that a couple times now recently I'm too. I'm convinced he's defending against Kushida first. I hope so. I hope Kushida actually takes the title from David Starr. But dude, he's your favorite wrestler's favorite wrestler. There's a conspiracy Which means against he's David Walter's Starr favorite wrestler. <laughs> dude, David Starr is your favorite wrestler's favorite wrestler. So yeah, if he's Walter's favorite wrestler, he should be your favorite wrestler. <laughs> it, it doesn't matter that he can't beat him. He's Walter's favorite wrestler. It's just how it works. <laughs> uh. I did get to I did get to see a Beyond show. Um, I got a DVD of David Starr versus Walter over here over here from Beyond, so that was fun. All right, so I'm gonna that play this. Awesome. Yeah, I'm gonna play this drop, and we're gonna talk about New Japan. It better be Kazuninari. I already played that drop uh, earlier on the show, so now Damn I'm it. gonna play Naito. Dude, it's Kazuninari. You need Kazuninari with me. <laughs> I did that to introduce you coming onto the cast. Oh, that works, and that's fine. Here you go. It's like my theme song. It's, it's such a good song. Uh, so we got some matches to go through here. Not a lot of matches, uh, but we'll I was going off. to say, we really only need to go through four or five. We need to go through the Kenny match. We need to go through Taichi, because Taichi is wrestling's god. <laughs> we need to go through um, the Nardo and Suzuki match, and probably the Junior uh, tournament match, and the... Um, Tanahashi Okada match. Yes. Cool. We're on the same page. So, Destruction in Hiroshima. Omega, second defense versus Ishii. Uh, it went 29 and a half minutes. It felt longer. Did it? I mean, uh, Well, I guess after the... So, there was a table spot in there where Omega jumps from the top turnbuckle over the barricade and double stomps. <coughs> Ishii threw a table. Kind of missing him a little bit. He did, didn't he? It looks like <coughs> no, he hit him in the shoulder, if I'm not mistaken. It was a springboard. It wasn't from the turnbuckle. I misspoke. Uh, I really like the, the Ishii psychology in this match specifically. Dude, Ishii showed more charisma in here than he showed in years. Yes, and that's I, I think that's what put me over for this match. No, I don't think this match was as good as their G1 match. That's a it wasn't very as good as their, um, their Japan Cup either. Right. Very high bars to meet, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad match. It was still a very good match. To be fair here, like, if Kenny doesn't lose his lip, like, it's not going to top that G1 match. I'm sorry, it went 31 minutes. 29 and a half minutes, that's when uh, momentum was changed to Omega after the Ishii kind of psychology stuff. Ah, okay. Yeah. Re yeah. Rereading re re my notes here. <laughs> uh, you know, Ishii did the Hulk up thing at the end. But what I did like about this this one in particular is he was so beat up and exhausted 
that that's all he could do. What do you what do you yep. think of Ishii's like Hulk up moments? You're you're right. Like by the time it had rolled around to that point, he was exhausted, and Kenny just put him out of his misery. Mm. Good, um, good stuff. Like you've pretty much covered all you can say there, dude. I would like to say though, and I don't know whether you're going to touch on it or not. Like, mm. what did you think of the move theft? Like Kenny hitting brainbusters and Ishii hitting V triggers. Uh, I thought I thought it brought something different to the match that we haven't seen before, especially out of Ishii. It made everything feel different, and that's why I'm not saying this was uh, a bad match at all. And I'm not, like, putting it down in any way. I, I loved it. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. This is, um, this is a great example, Jay, of, of guys that have had multiple matches in the same year, and they're not back-to-back-to-back-to-back, like we see in uh, a certain American promotion. Say what you want about that, dude. That, um, New Japan has booked friggin' Suzuki Goon versus uh, Lij since like friggin' Sakura Genesis. Uh huh. Like, just constantly. That's getting a little irritating, but they're managing to mix different elements in there to at least. Most of the time, dude, it's just Suzuki versus Nato. Most of the time, yeah. But now, now they're getting some evil and Zack Saber Junior stuff in there. So, uh, but those matches are just fun. Yeah, if we haven't seen, like, 30 of them this year. Yeah, well. That's the thing about New Japan, though. Like, you can kind of just look forward to the events and look forward to the last couple matches on the card. That is true. That is true. You know, in a way, it's a time saver. (laughs) (laughs) It is. It is. Hey, are we going to touch on the um, Never titles? Just curiosity. I completely forgot about those. Uh, nah. Okay. Nah, not interested. <laughs> Okie dokie. The Tonga's retain. Yeah, Tonga's retain. I, ho- I I really want Rapongi 3K to go for him, actually. Yeah, you mentioned that before, and I could yeah. totally see them doing it. Uh, I, <laughs> You know what? I did see the uh, post-interview with Rocky Romero and Yo and Sho, and Rocky was putting on a fantastic promo, and every time he'd turn to Sho and Yo for like affirmation of what he was saying, they would just go, Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and then what was this, Mug, uh, this was just on their YouTube page. Post, uh, I think it was post the Kobe. Ah, uh, okay. One and uh, so Rocky he goes, we're getting Kobe beef because we're in Kobe. We're getting he'd occasionally throw in a Japanese word there, and he walks away. <laughs> Show and Yo then look at each other and go, "Did you get all that?" And he goes, "Nah, I understood the Japanese words." Like, and then they say a few of them, and then they cut their own promo. <laughs> <laughs> Being all serious, uh, it was quite funny. <laughs> that is fantastic. Uh, Alright, so uh, on to Beppu. On to Beppu. Taichi beat Goto for the Never Overweight title. <laughs> Dude, Taichi is a wrestling god. <laughs> Taichi is my boy. Uh, you know, uh, I, I do like Taichi because he's, he's, he's very unique in the span of New Japan. He feels like a Western Westerner wrestler. He does, and almost, I was going to say, if, if you didn't, times. I was going to say, dude, if you didn't play along with me here, I was not going to be happy because, like, we enjoyed the hell out of watching this match. It's because it's so. It was. It was. I mean, let's be honest. It was comically bad, but we were. How dare you say that? Touch is a god. Entertained. We were entertained. No, Tachi is a god. There is nothing wrong with Tachi's matches. They're not overbooked. They're booked to perfection. <laughs> he 
kind of fumbled around the ring uh, too much, and Goto didn't really sell it with his Indian style, just waiting for him to get back in the ring. I sense Goto was a little bit frustrated with Taichi's antics, like in real life, not just being in kayfabe. <laughs> well, dude, Goto is a samurai. Yeah. He well, doesn't have time for this. But fuck it, Taichi's now the champ for some reason. <laughs> Yeah, Tachi's champ. All is right in the world. That's they, all we need to know from this. Where are they going to go with this, though? I don't know. That's Michael. Yeah, I don't know either. Like, who's going to come for Taichi? Elgin? Well, like I said, I said to maybe, I said to um someone earlier um in the week that friggin' maybe they took the never title off of Goto because he's moving on to better things. Like, I did he not be- mind Goto starting for uh, the US or even the IC title. Yeah. I was about to bring that up. I was going to ask if Goto beat Juice in the G1. Because, like, everyone beats mm. Juice in the G1 pretty much. I don't remember, but probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because, like, maybe that's why they're taking it off. And maybe he's going to be one of the credible contenders that Juice, like, either loses to or that he fends off. I don't know whether or not, though, they can put the US title on a Japanese person. Not trying to be racist. It just... I don't know if they would do that. Yeah, I don't think they would do that either. I think that defeats the purpose of why they made the U.S. title in the first place. It's, so. it's the foreigner's belt. Yeah. Like I said on my podcast, Japanese think all white people look the same. <laughs> well, not totally wrong. So, But, all right. Minoru and Naito, uh, I think they won up their match from uh, their IC title match earlier this year. Yeah, personally. yeah. You're, you're right. This, this was did. built as a simply a grudge match where Minoru wants to kill Naito. <laughs> and he almost succeeded. Naito would be sore in the morning. Yeah. Uh, I think the best spot in the match was definitely when Minoru threw a table at Naito's head and it just left an implant in the table. It did. I was <laughs> like, when you were talking about the British tables before, I was going to be, when you said that the New Japan that was that break, it's like, yeah, they do. They broke over Naito's head. <laughs> Uh, it, it was Minoru's antics throughout the throughout these matches, especially this one, definitely shined when he's um, terrorizing fans, the commentators of all kinds, beating up young boys, young lions. Yep. Uh, Dude, Minoru is just a psychotic person. It's fantastic. Yeah. What I don't like about what I've seen recently from Minoru Suzuki matches is he beats up the dude for like fifteen to thirty minutes. You know, and then he loses. Them, and then he just loses out of nowhere. Yeah, he gets hit by a finisher and loses. There's just not enough offense for the other guy to do to him. I don't know if that's an extent of Minoru just being, you know, in his older years now, and that's kind of what he, what they need to do to put him over. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. I watched um earlier this week, actually. Well, last week, this week. It's Monday. Um. Have you ever seen the Pancreas MMA match between uh, him and uh, Ken Shamrock? No. From, like, way back in the day? Uh-uh. Dude, he tapped Shamrock out in less than three minutes. <laughs> and that is Shamrock. Like, you know what friggin' Shamrock is like, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy to see how good your uh, friggin' Suzuki was as an MMA fighter. Yeah. Well, uh, I believe there w- there's a, um, rear, uh, a site called Rear, rear View Reviews. And um, all throughout September, he's been reviewing old Suzuki matches. Whether it's Wait, Noah like MMA fights or like, like what about his pancreas fights? Not them or just like wrestling no. stuff? No, it's wrestling stuff from over the over the years. Mm. Yeah, I've been I've been kind of following along uh, with him. So I'm actually cool on stuff. that. Uh, all right, so uh, Naito wins. 
Whatever, I guess. <laughs> Naito definitely took a beating in this match, so kudos to him on that one. Yeah, he did. And then yeah. he hit the SNL one. Yeah. So on to Kobe. Uh, Kushida beats Bushi in a good junior match. Yes, yes, that, that essentially sums that up. Uh, yeah, I... Kushida got hit by the mist, and then he won. Oh, did he get hit by the mist? That was such yeah, a good mist spot. Yes, it was. Kushida actually had his eyes closed for a good, like, three to four minutes. Yeah. He... yeah. So, so uh, do I... These two guys highlight each other so well, they don't get enough credit. Yep, that is 100% correct, but, like... Dude, Kushida is the ace of the junior division. Like, does he need more credit than that? Mm, well, I think this match like proved why Bushi was one of the four that were chosen to be in this. Yes, he's one of the last four champions. Uh, that isn't Hiromu. And uh, I just like the fact that like each one of the like the contenders in this is like representing a different faction. Yeah, that was also good. That was also good. I mean, we we also questioned, you know, why is it only four guys? Why is Bushi one of these four? I mean, th yeah, they have their reasons. Why are they, why are they semi-finals when there's only four people in the friggin' tournament? Right, yeah, but, you know, again, this is just another good example of New Japan, you know, uh, having booking that makes sense. It's not, it doesn't take a lot of thought, and then the match delivers, and you, you're just like, yeah, that was a good match. Happy fan. Yep, yep. But I want to talk about that miss spot again. So there, I, I, let's see. Kushida had Bushi in some sort of submission hold, I believe. It was an armbar, wasn't it? I, it was. I want to say it was like an octopus type stretch on the ground. I'm not sure. There was a like lot of submission like attempts in that. There was. There was a lot more technical moves than I, th I thought there was going to be, especially come. Well, Kushida, he, he's an ex. I believe he's an ex MMA fighter himself. Yeah. They mentioned that he's undefeated. Like, he's got a record of, like, 4 or 6 zero, 2 So he's obviously, like, one never lost and drew a couple. Yeah. I, I love Kushida's arm work when he gets a chance to highlight him. And uh, I, I you just don't... I didn't see it at all in the J-Cup. Uh, the last match I saw him do arm work in was that banger of a match against Jay Lethal over in... Uh, who? What pay-per-view was that? I don't remember. It was earlier this summer. Was it uh, Ring of Honor? Or? Yeah, it was in Ring of Honor against Jay Lethal. Okay, okay. This is before Jay Lethal was champ again. But oh man, he he did such a good job catching Bushi in, into the moves, uh, really getting the the arm lock in, and Bushi holding his own and flowing well, no botches that I remember. And th that miss spot just covered Kushida, just black mist all over his face, down his chest. You couldn't even see Kushida's face. No, you couldn't. So good. Also, the dude, best mist up spot I've seen in so long. If I'm not mistaken, the black mist in WWE meant, like, you died or got knocked out or something, so I'm glad <laughs> to see they didn't go that route. Because uh, we all know there's, like, red mist, green mist, blue mist, black oh, mist. sure, yeah. Yep. There needs to be someone in WWE to bring back the mist. Well, friggin' Tijiri was there for a while, didn't he? he used to do it? Yeah, he used to do it, but it was it was more like a comic act. Oh, Who would you put the mist with? with? Hmm. Mist. I mean, hmm. friggin', we've got Akira Tozawa and um, uh, the the dude who used to be Kanto, who name keeps escaping me. They're both Japanese. Yeah. One of them. That's the one. One of them can do it. They're both Japanese. Uh, have Oscar have it? 
Oh, reinvent reinvent your character a bit. She wears face paint and starts. She wears her jo- her crazy face paint. She's tired of losing and being overlooked. Give her the mist and the face paint, dude. Have, that would have I kill Naomi so with over. it? <laughs> yes, it would. Have I kill Naomi with it? Yeah, have have her turn on her. Um, just be this crazy Joker type character because she's definitely pulled it off before. I've seen it, and then have her have her join Shinsuke. Whoa! We're getting a Yakuza there faction. Go. Look at that Yakuza faction right there. They could Look bring in um, Itami and uh, Akira as like the tag team dudes. Hey, if WWE wants to bring out factions, have all the Japanese guy in a faction. Ha- have have them all in a single unit on SmackDown or Raw. I don't care. Have have Oscar with Mist, dude. And and then when you're tired of the faction, uh, Itami and um, Nakamura go at it. Why is I have this so one hard? request. <laughs> I have one request for this, and it's like something that needs to happen, or else this won't work. Okay. Can we get a mouthpiece? Because like none of these dudes can cut promos. Um, they don't need to cut promos. They just go out there and kick the shit out of people because they're strong yeah, style. I, can, I get that, but like Vince would never let that happen have them because cut promos in WWE. Japanese. Yes, that 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 could sound intimidating. It sounds intimidating. The American audience would definitely hate it. <laughs> Did you see the um make Nak America great again thing? I've seen it going around, but you know, so good. You have to so be good. on. You have to actually be on TV and have feuds for me to be convinced you're a champion. <laughs> yeah, dude, he's not on Super Showdown. Yep, I looks of it either. Fucking Jesus Christ. Anyways, so uh, on to Tanahashi versus Okada. Our last little topic between you and me, Jay. Well, all you need to know about this dude is. Tanahashi has not beaten Okada in over a very, very, very high number of days. I've forgotten the exact number. Didn't they say it was like 635 or something out of this crazy world? It had been, yeah, like two years or three years or it's something like that. a long fucking time between the two of them. And the yeah. last two of them went to a draw? Well, no. Their last, like, all the G1 matches that they've had apparently have been to a draw... The that last match that, that they it. had before the draw was the um, title defense from Okada. Okay. Back at... Where was that? Was that at um, Sakura Genesis or was that somewhere else? Wasn't that... No, that wasn't Dominion. No, because that was Kenny. Yeah, it must have been Sakura Genesis. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, anyways. I'm sure it was Sakura Genesis. This match went 35 minutes. Yet it another did. good match. Yeah, they, I don't think these two have the like possible bone in their body to make them put on a bad match. And I love the fact that um, Okada was showing signs of the Rainmaker again. And in answer to your question, dude, um, you are nothing without your balloons because you lose. <laughs> Not totally wrong. I was actually a little bit surprised that they both did legwork to each other for a good chunk of the start of the match. Well, it takes out a lot of Tanahashi's offense, and it also takes a dropkick away from Okada. Right. And then, so, this is, this is what I noticed. So, they did, they, did, uh, they did a little bit of their psychology at the, at the start. Okada, you know, not breaking the count and hitting Tanahashi quite like that. Saw a different side of the Rainmaker yep. there. <laughs> Okada was healing it up here. Yep. He was, he was healing it up because he, 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 you know, he's lost his title. He wants that, he wants that Wrestle Kingdom shot. And he was also facing Tanahashi, which means you instantly go the heel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyone facing Tanahashi must, must show some signs of not being a babyface. 
I can't wait to see the cleaner versus um Tanahashi. Like Kenny with all of his heel tendencies is going to be great. Oh, he has to. He has to do it. You have to do it against Tanahashi. You do. You do. A lot. Of, I see a lot of people complain about that already. But anyways, we'll get we'll we'll get there in time. There's 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 a logical reason why he's defending against Tanahashi. He's the last one of like the dudes that Kenny hasn't fought this year. Right. Yeah. So I love the leg work, and then as the mat. So so then eventually they get out of the leg work because then they want to start hitting their moves. So the leg work leg work stops, and then they get their legs back again, so they can do other moves later in the match. And now they're exhausted. And because legwork was done at one point, then they ended up selling it a little bit later. Very good stuff. And again, look like a different match than I've seen in the past. At least this year. It did. Yep, for sure. Tanahashi kept falling over because he couldn't wait better. Mm-hmm. Did you think that figure four spot went on for a bit too long? Yeah, they usually do in, in New Japan matches. Yeah, it's a rest hold. That's that's their version of a rest hold, but it actually does look like it hurts them for, for good yeah, reasons. Yeah, it does. Which yeah, I appreciate more. That's why Naito can't walk after his Minoru matches. He's like, fuck, that hurt. <laughs> also, it's the fact that like Naito just doesn't have knees anymore. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So let's get. So Tanahashi ends up winning in a grand finish. Nice little high fly, high fly flow. Uh, I really liked the spot where they're on the turnbuckle, and um, Okada's on the the middle turnbuckle on the inside of the ropes there, and he just sort of falls backwards. And as he's going down, Tanahashi hits his high fly flow, the the sideways frog splash onto him as they're falling down. I was like, wow. yeah, I thought that was done really well. That was very easy to screw up. Very easy to screw up. Very easy to over jump it. Just two guys yep. just being so good chemistry wise together. And uh, so Tanahashi wins, and then Jay White comes out. Okay, let. Wait, can I refer to him as what I usually refer to him as, or do I have to call him Jay? Just call him Jay White, or the Switchblade. Please. You're no fun. You're no fun. But okay, I, I will oblige you. So, my boy Jay White comes out, and like, at this point, we knew this was going to happen. Like, we knew that he was going to go after Tanahashi's contract at some stage. I didn't know um, it was going to be this soon. Neither, well, dude, I didn't think King of Pro Wrestling was this soon. Um, <laughs> freaking... Yeah, so like he he hits the switchblade on hits on Tanahashi. Right on Tanahashi immediately, yeah. Right, my bad. Thought it was switchblade. My bad. Uh, that's his nickname. Um, and then he starts laying the boots into Okada. He kind then of after that, there a bit, which I quite liked. He did. Um, gets out of the ring, goes, takes the chair off Rocky Romero because like it's it's it needs to be that chair. Like the, there's chairs <laughs> under the ring, there's chairs in the crowd, but it needs to be Rocky's chair because it's Rocky. <laughs> um, Yoshihashi comes down and Jay makes very very short work of Yoshihashi oh my god okay we gotta talk about what happened to Yoshihashi there he pulled a a very Yoshihashi thing he trips okay. on his way de- running down the ramp and face plants into the ring apron and busts himself open very hard is that where the blood had come from I yes. saw the blood like on people but I didn't figure out where it had come from yeah Yoshihashi like, I thought that he, I thought so that he bladed. No. I thought he bladed. No, he just went face first into the ring apron and busted himself open beyond reason. It was well, re- it looked it. really bad. And he, that'll he, do he, it. He for sure has a concussion because Jay White looked at him like because he was going to continue the beatdown of Yoshihashi, but it never happened. 
Yeah, I, I thought that was a bit weird how quick that ended. Yeah, it's because Yoshihashi cracked himself. Poor guy. He was like smashing him in the back with a shower and ribbed on. Yeah. Um, yeah he wiped his then, blood on, his, on himself and... Yeah, oh, yeah he like yeah. made him look all psychotic and crap. How did the freaking blood end up on Okada? Uh, probably from the, the blood going along the ring and Okada rolled over it. <laughs> okay, because like I... No, right here. Or, yeah, or, so then or I, did Yoshi... Did Hashi... Um, uh, like... End did up he on check him at on one him? point? I think so. I don't remember. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. So yeah, um, friggin' Jay's in the ring with the chair then, and then Gato comes down. Yes. And then, by this stage, Okada's stirring, gets back up to his feet. Um, him and Jay White start having a conversation. Uh, Jay does his signature pose, and then Gato smashes him in the back with a very awkward-looking chair shot. Yeah, it was. He had his hands reversed, and he just kind of taps Okada with the chair in his back. Yes, he yeah. did. But yes, regardless, it's did. it's what it's the yeah. It looked really bad. It's funny. It did. I, I I thought it was horrible, but um, it would have looked so much better if it was a normal chair shot, yeah. not that weird bloody tap with it. Yeah, he had his hands reversed. He was he was uh facing the wrong direction with his feet. It just it's like, come on, haven't you ever swung a baseball bat before? Clearly, Gato has not. <laughs> <laughs> swing and he's flubbed it yeah and then um friggin blade runner onto okada and we've got a new little semi-faction partnership going on which i think is the right move for jay absolutely it's just like uh taka michinoku with zack saber jr for new japan now you have gato with jay white it it looks it's a it's a a very good instance of it working. Jay, I lost you. I can't hear you. <laughs> uh, technical difficulties here. It's fine. So I'll just continue on until Jay figures out how to speak again. There he is. <laughs> am I dead or am I alive? I was talking the whole time. What happened? Uh, you died for a second there. So uh, thoughts on Gato with jay white now i love it dude i love it i think it is the right move for jay um think back onto what gato and okada did together when mm -hmm. okada was a rookie mm -hmm. um i love it this is just going to propel jay in further yeah new japan's pulling the pulling the trigger on jay white um it's I the think right time to do it too it's the right time to do it uh him and this this uh feud with tanahashi going for the briefcase i don't think he's going to win it but this will propel i want him his to win career. it i really do this will propel I know his career leaps happen. and bounds but I want him to win it. And I think the Intercontinental title is in his future. 2019. We're going to breathe with the Switchblade in 2019. You're not going to give him the US title back? Uh, no, with this new Gato thing and coming after, going into the main event against Tanahashi, uh, I think the IC title is in his future. You've got to take it off Jericho before that match. I don't see him facing Jericho for it. No, that's why I'm saying 2019. Yes, but between now and then, now and then you have a faction the... around him. Yeah, but okay, but like, how do we get the belt off of Jericho? Oh, you have him face Ibushi or somebody. Who knows? Who knows what's gonna Go happen there? Ace. <laughs> mm. There's many possibilities. Mm. This is great. It, it, it's it's gonna lead to so many subtle things uh, for us to look out for uh, just in the next month. You know. Yep. 
I wonder who's going to join him. Who, like, are they going to, like, rename Chaos? Like, is oh. Okada out of Chaos? What's going on with this? That's really interesting. Ooh. Yeah, because you got Rapongi 3K, Okada, and Goto. Ibushi. No, not Ibushi. No, not um, Ishii. Ishii. And Ishii. Ishii's in Chaos. Um, Toriyano. Yoshihashi. Mm. They're all Chaos. Maybe you could get like someone like the best friends to join the super best friends. Yeah, the super best friends to join up with uh with them. I don't see Osprey going anywhere. Osprey is Okada's boy. I don't know. I like, maybe I, really be... like I really like heel Osprey. I really do. Maybe that'll oh dude dude dude. You know how Osprey's like trying to get up to the heavyweight division? Maybe Jay White will be his first feud as a heavyweight. That's possible. I'd, I'd be, be really down good. for that match. For sure. So would I. Oh, man, so there's would a I. lot of possibilities, especially especially with um, New Japan getting a lot of other people involved in the promotion now. It, the, the, the possibilities are endless. I trust what New Japan's doing. Uh, so, uh, a little, little outlook here um, for what's coming up. We got, you said, uh, King of Pro Wrestling. It takes place on the 8th. And then before... Or is it before that or after that we have the uh we're back in san francisco okay so very quickly i'll run through the next two weeks of pay-per-views ready okay go so first up we have got uh death before dishonor um on the 29th of uh september on the 30th of september we have the wembley show for evolve and new japan's um uh american show we then have a super showdown followed by kings of pro wrestling like two days after Super Showdown. Well, good thing I'm not watching the Aussie show, and you're coming on to tell me all about it. <laughs> Dude, me and my boy Corey Gold will be here live with bells on to give you a recap of the crappy house show that we're going to watch live. Yeah, I won't be watching it, but since you're live, you can just tell me, hey, this one match was good, watch that. And be like, okay, that's fine. Hey, nothing was redeemable. <laughs> Uh, I'm I'm hoping that like because we're there live, like we get sucked up in the energy of it. But like, I, I think that Australia is full of marks, and I'm going to be seated next to people who are like, "Yay, Roman!" Maybe I mean Australia doesn't get giant shows like this too often. And hey, going to a wrestling show live is always so much better. I know, I know. Always. I freaking love that New Japan one that I went to earlier this year. So and like, the even like the crappy bar wrestling that I go to is like really good. I'm just not looking forward to this. I, I will say, so yeah, this, um, though, me me uh, hitting up all these indie promotions uh, lately, left and right. So much mm -hmm. better experience than any like Raw or SmackDown I've ever been to. Yeah, I get that. Um, no, no just to very quickly, <laughs> true, true. Just very very quickly here. Um. So, Super Showdown is on Saturday, the 6th of um, friggin' October. October, which for you guys is the 5th, so it will be on your Friday. Sure. Um, and then King of Pro Wrestling is on Monday, the 8th of October. Why is it on a Monday? That's weird. So, that's <laughs> your Sunday. Yeah, that's why. It's still weird, though. Like, I get a pay-per-view on a Monday. That's really odd. But at least I'm not working. Lucky for you, then. <laughs> Woo! Well, all right, Jay. But dude, like the Wembley show and the freaking uh, US New Japan show are on the same day. 
Yeah, and then Tag League in WXW is all weekend. Uh, <laughs> oh, and the following <laughs> week. And the following week um, after uh, King of Pro Wrestling, the Junior Tag League starts in each band. Oh. We're going to have to just bang out a couple quick episodes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we're not doing or, like four hour episodes here. <laughs> or that people can come and listen to Smack It Down podcast, there where, you. let's be honest here, you and I will probably be reviewing that week to week anyway. Right. Yeah. <laughs> probably <laughs> alrighty well that finishes up here uh, for New Japan and all the other stuff we talked about uh, we're gonna if you're joining us on the live stream this is the end of it and uh, if you're listening on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Smart Radio and all your favorite podcasting outlets for the Red Leaf Retrocast then we're going back to our regular uh, programming to talk about Hell in a Red Cell <laughs> ooh oh so thank you, uh, thank you, Jay, and look forward to you on future podcast episodes. Thanks for having me, man. Hey, Colin, did you get the cardboard cutout of Console Kev? Did I ever? It's amazing. Oh, I think so too. I hate that guy. Oh, oh, uh, Kevin, what are you doing here? Oh, uh, you know, just eavesdropping all the you know the bad things you say about me. My usual Wednesday. Oh well, did you at least prepare for the retro gaming podcast? Absolutely not. Oh, God, that figures. All right, it's okay. I'll take it from here. Basically, uh, we pick a theme every time, and we pick a number of games based on that theme. You know, just like our first episode, where it lasted forever, and we talked about space games. Yeah, and other good, you know, all the mainstream systems and games you love, like the 3DO, the Atari Jaguar. Oh, come on! Colin, you back me up here. The 3DO is awesome, right? Mm, yeah. Oh. I thought we were friends. I mean, it's cool. Uh, oh. Alright. If you want to hear three guys talk about games that are bad because JD picked them all and good games that Kevin picked, join us. Who here wants to see a bunch of nerds talking video games with a little bit of anime thrown in there? Nobody? Just me? Damn! Well, speaking of anime, we... D- Colin, we have an anime cast as well. Yes, we do. All retro anime, (laughs) many of which I have never heard of myself. And I'm a weeb! Very similar premise there. We we pick a retro anime, at least 15 years or older, and we review it every episode. We also keep up on all the modern stuff, all the seasonal things from the year. Hey, Kevin, you just got back into wrestling, right? I did. Oh my god, did you know we also have a wrestling cast that just started? I do now, because nobody tells me anything! Ah, oh, well, what do you think of the big dog these days? He still sucks. Well, that's good. Well, luckily, we just don't complain about WWE stuff. We also talk about a lot of the latest and greatest from from the rising indie scene, New Japan, and Ring of Honor. I like rings and honor. Ah, oh, well, you should definitely listen to the Red Leaf Retrocast. We have such a wide range of topics, ideas to, to discuss, and just anything to review. It's fantastic, don't you guys think so? It's alright! Absolutely. And thanks again for the Sailor Moon episode. That's got me a lifetime supply of salt for my fries. From the fans. Ha! That's the Red Leaf Retrocast. All things gaming, anime, and wrestling. Found on all your favorite podcasting websites. Alrighty. Dan, we're back, for all intents and purposes. <laughs> uh, it's always fun doing yeah, live things, live streams, and it's all cut into segments. 
So here we are, WWE. We are. Uh, I think uh, we're gonna we're gonna start off slow. Let's talk about that NXT match that happened with uh, Ricochet and Pete Dunne. Title versus title. That's starting slow. That's starting slow. What'd you that think was one of the best matches of this year. I thought it was absolutely incredible. I couldn't stop watching. Like I've watched the match three times already. I wow. think it was that good. Uh, I can also say that it's already in my top 10 of WWE matches this year, that's for sure. Uh, I think it was an easy choice. It would have definitely been higher if it wasn't for the fuck finish. I, I kind of expected it was going to be a screwy finish going into it. Anything about it, you just put the belt on Rick Shea, you're not going to have him lose it. You have uh, NXT UK is coming up and it's supposed to be a big event. You're not going to take the title off the face of that entire uh Type promotion, so you knew that both people were going to keep their belts at the end of this. It was just a question of how would you make sure that happens. And this way, you have a run in. Both people lose. Me, from what I can see, it's clear that they're trying to set up the next war games. Now you have undisputed era in one corner. You have the begrudging friendship and mutual respect you have from Ricochet and Pete Dunne. I'm sure they'll get a third person on the line. And you have the War Raiders as the third team for the next War Games event coming out in November. So this way you have a great match. You build to the next big event. Everyone comes out looking good. And I'm beyond excited for War Games. You can skip that Saudi Arabian Australia show. Just go right to War Games. I'll be happy. (laughs) Not excited for the crown jewel, I take it? (laughs) Uh, Not in the least. (laughs) <laughs> that seems to be what everyone that that seems to be the general consensus on that even for the most excited WWE fans out there. Uh I also really enjoyed this match. However, I because I'm expecting these these screwy finishes all the time, I just seem to be looking at my watch or clock just being like, "All right, when's it when's it coming?" Uh but uh I am I am in 80% agreement that the match did go about 23 minutes. Great back and forth. Ricochet was... I was surprised that Ricochet was matching up with Pete Dunne in the, uh, with a lot of the technical moves. Looked very much more like a British match, British uh, technical match at, at times. And Ricochet definitely, uh, definitely impressed me there. Mixing that in with his high-flying ability. Uh, it's one of the better Ricochet matches I've seen in quite some time that didn't involve Will Ospreay. So, uh, that was great. I loved how this match was given the proper amount of time tell an in-ring story as well as the rivalry that they've kind of built with each other going for each other's titles uh i did expect undisputed era to come out because of that, the the way adam cole has been hinting at promos and everything um however the other the 20 percent that irritates me is a promo between uh adam cole and him picking on ricochet so I suspected they'd get involved. I didn't expect the War Raiders, but I figured that Undisputed Era would be in there somewhere. Well, War, War, War Raiders made that abund- abundantly clear. Um, I believe it was... Wasn't that Brooklyn they came in post-match and beat up the tag champs? Yeah. Yeah. So I was I was expecting I them to ma- make their make their presence known as well. Here, here, here's, here's what I'm saying, though. You can have Ricochet and Dunn both keep their titles in a number of ways, whether it's like an inadvertent DQ or the ref sees something or, you know, because Dunn is a sneaky 
type wrestler. He's made that clear of the type of guy he is. Um, you could have had done like get caught uh, doing something stupid. You could have had them go to a time limit draw. You could have had yeah. But think about and tell. It's not just let's keep both titles on them. The story that they're trying to get out of this is these two guys beat the hell out of each other, and now because they had such a great match, they both respect one another, and that's supposed to lead to their becoming a team for war games. At least that's the story I'm kind of putting out of it. So well, if you kind of have a screwy finish, British strong style with Tyler Bate and and Trent Seven. Didn't need yeah, Ricochet. Yeah, that's why I think that what. Yeah, that's what I mean. I think you're trying to create a team between Ricochet and Pete Dunne, specifically for War Games. This way, you have a uh, both of them keep the title, but it's because neither one of them went to a dirty tactic because they both put it in the ring, and it was something else causing DQ. Now I can have that mutual respect that can make them become a single team for war games. I, I get the idea behind it. I, I, I just think they, they could have gone about this differently because I've just seen the interference in these big main events just way too much, especially in 2018. WWE, whether it's NXT or not, just seems to be overkilling it harder and harder every day. Yeah, but man, this is a weekly show. It's not like it's a main event pay-per-view so i can accept it a lot more on weekly shows if they're trying to build up to the next main event i'm less of a fan of screwy finishes at the big event just to try either go to the nutter like like some of the finish they had for i'm sure we'll talk about this later but for hell in a cell like the aj styles or samoa joe another finish at the big event so you spent weeks promoting this as the match, and then you crap on the ending, and we're supposed to get excited for the next match now. That kind of takes away from it. Yeah, I see what you're saying. No, that's. I mean, I did say it was 80-20. I'm not saying it was the other way around. <laughs> you know, just because something's predictable doesn't mean it's automatically bad. It's kind of what I'm going for. Yeah. Uh, I again, it's just seeing the same thing too much. That's where that's where it gets irritating for me. But since you mentioned Hell in a Cell, why don't we move on to Rage in the Red Cage? <laughs> uh, what'd you I think of the, like red the Red Cell? Cage. What'd you think of the Red Cell? I thought it was fine. I mean, made a it went a more of the theme they were doing. Yeah, I definitely like the Red Cell a lot more than I like their promotional poster. <laughs> I have no idea why is now the devil, and I have no idea why Braun Strowman is now a gargoyle. Not the best look for you to want them. No. But <laughs> I can even go to a promotional poster. The cell itself being red looks fine to me. Yeah. Well, since we since we both know what paint does to uh, to galvanize steel and whatnot, since we uh, since we both offshore type type guys, at, uh, at least I was at one point in time, basically rubberized the entire cell. So it's now it's a much safer place. So yeah, like you said, the even the, yeah. the promotional poster is very deceiving and weird. More weird now. <laughs> yeah, so the whole cell well, has been rubberized essentially. Yeah. Hey, you know, if if you make the environment safer, I'm all for for it. I don't like seeing wrestlers get get hurt for real. <laughs> I completely agree. Like, I want to see them keep performing. If they get injured, who knows when the next time they'll be back and if they actually get a push at all once they come back. Yeah. 
let's just go down the card here. We got Orton versus Hardy in a cell. It went 26 minutes, and the best way I can describe this is it was weird. I liked it. Uh, it was brutal. I mean, it's clearly not on the same level as Attitude Ever Violence or even Ruthless Regression Ever Violence. Right, right. But getting to hell with that studded belt where Orton was clearly had chunks missing out of his back, having the one spot where he had a chunk torn out of his leg, he was clearly bleeding there. Mm-hmm. The ear spot was unique and very, let's call it graphic. That's a polite way of saying it. It, it looked graphic, but it was a PG match. I mean, someone says it's a PG, but it looked like it was definitely pushing the envelope. Right. But I was a fan of it for a modern Hell in a Cell. I liked it. Yeah, I'm very, kinda, very kind of mute on it. I, I didn't hate the match by any means. Uh, to me, a Hell in a Cell match, especially in today's WWE, is it just involves one guy throwing another around the cell for a little while, a couple weapon spots. At least at least uh, in terms of what Orton and Hardy were able to do, it made it more unique than what I've seen in the past, for sure. I did think this match went on way too long, though. I, I feel it was way drawn out, uh, too slow at times. I mean, I think that has a lot to do with the two guys just being in their more advanced years now, especially Hardy. I mean, he both guys were gassed after five minutes, let's be honest. <laughs> I will say this about this match. With this match, they actually involved the cell. So that's a lot more I can say about a lot of better recent talent cell matches where you might as well not have this cell there at all. And from a storyline perspective, it also worked out where these two, they had a fairly heated rivalry. So it actually felt like a Hell in a Cell match would fit into this story. Unlike other times where you have oh, crap, it's October, we better have one of these matches be inside a cell for no other reason than it's October. Like When they do stuff like that in the past, that always gets to me where it doesn't feel like past Hell in a Cell matches really needed to be Hell in a Cell matches. This one at least felt like it was legitimately needed a cell there. Mm, I'm not sure if I totally agree with this match needed to be in a cell. Because we all, I, I think we all know that it was just something to give to Jeff Hardy because he's never had one before. Which I'm fine with. I mean, at this point, he deserves it. I, if yeah. he wants to have that little his resume, he's dying up in the industry where, sure, why not? Yeah. Give it to him. Still kudos to Orton for, for making making the match more unique. And uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of digging creepy Orton. Uh, he might be able to pull oh. this off way too well. Because allegedly he's like this in real life. <laughs> I love Phil Ward. Like all of a sudden, Phil Ward feels like he is like upper card worthy as opposed to what he was before the happy babyface character. Well, not happy babyface, but just a babyface character that didn't seem like he belonged much higher than the mid card. But Phil Ward, I think, works very well. Yeah, well, we'll we'll see uh, what what's in store for Ort in the future. And um, what'd you think of the the final spot in this match where Hardy kept getting the ladder and he's not high enough? No, this one's not high enough either. Any any Spider Man's the K or Spider Man's the top of the cell with Orton moving way too early and then Hardy just kind of falling through the table at the end. What'd you think of that? Uh, 
unique spot, worked well, they did it well, and now it solves the does the multiple purpose thing where it was a good ending to the match. It made Orton look like an even bigger heel because he's like, no, screw your injury. I'm covering you anyway. <laughs> and at the same time, it lets Hardy have some well-deserved time off, give him some time to heal up. I have heard that he's got is dealing with back problems right now. So oh, this yeah, he's been dealing is with a good all summer. Yeah, what do you think will tell you is dealing with those injuries compared with some of the spots he's taken before, like the Swanton bomb on the ring edge that he had with Nakamura a couple weeks back. Mm-hmm. Like some of those spots not look like spots I expect from someone with a bad back. But, I mean, kudos to Hardy for helping it out. I, 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 I personally didn't like the way... I, I mean, I like the idea of the spot. I, I definitely called it in the previous podcast episode, or at least I was on Smack It Down podcast, one of those two. I called Hardy uh, Spider-Manning the cell. So, kudos to me on that. I, I just wish Orton didn't move so early. There was definitely some miscommunication there. Uh, the, the, the ref wanting to call it off was kind of odd to me because it's a Hell in a Cell match. I did, it didn't really bother me because Orton definitely... Uh, sold it to me anyways as a viewer going, no, it's a Hell in a Cell match. Just do your job and count the pin. Like, okay, yeah, Orton's right. I love it. We're talking about calling you off in a Cell matches. I think it's going to get far worse as we talk further about the show. Yeah. So, um, but uh, just to speed things along here, uh, Becky Lynch uh, defeats Charlotte in a 14-minute technical affair. Mostly, mostly good exchanges. It got a little sloppy at, at some points. Uh, decent enough pace. A, a strange reversal kind of of the spear into a clean pin right in the middle of the ring. Uh, I'm shocked, personally, Stan, that they actually booked Becky Lynch to win this match. Because they clearly still I'm want Lynch sh- to be the big heel on SmackDown. I'm not shocked that they had her win it. Like, I think the main test is going to come at Evolution. Do they give the title back to Charlotte so she can break the record for uh, most titles by female at the new big Evolution show? Or do they legitimately let Becky Lynch's momentum ride and let her keep the belt? So that's the thing. I don't like that. That, I don't like that. (laughs) What you just said there. Oh, no, I hadn't thought of that yet. Oh, that's a that's a oh, no. Well, they're, de- they're facing each other at, in Australia in a rematch. So. Well, I'm not sure what to think about the Australia. Like, it's technically supposed to be non-canon. I mean, I gave the Greatest World Rumble a chance, and that was a glorified house show. Yeah. That's I'm not what, expecting that's what, much more. That's what Australia is looking like to me as well. No, I won't be watching it personally. I'll watch it afterwards. Like I'm not gonna, I'm not excited for it. If I've got nothing going on. I'll give it a shot. Mm. But like they had their chance at in Saudi the first time around, they let it down pretty bad. And I, I just can't bring myself to really care for anything else. Yeah, with WWE at this point, you have these glorified house shows that they can't make seem special, but. How surprising is that when they're at the point where they can't even make WrestleMania feel special? <laughs> like their crown jewel is now just seems like any other event. Yeah. Like I can't think of a single legitimate pay per view that feels like it's a big deal anymore. Ugh. 
I guess maybe the rumble in a way. Maybe. Sure. Yeah, I guess that's as close as get it as it gets. As close as it gets. Oh, what a sad, sad state of affairs. Um, so despite everything, the crowd, uh, at least the way I'm taking it, they're still. I mean, you have the babyface commentators still, uh, you know, getting the getting the word in their ear to showcase Charlotte as this babyface wrestler, uh, getting real Roman-like in the booking here. Um, as much as I love Charlotte and her ring ability, the booking is really making me want to turn on her, and it's not any fault of hers. And they they still want Lynch to be the big heel. Uh, and the crowd seems to slowly starting to just become mute because they're confused, you know? I think they got rid of the Becky Lynch heel persona. I mean, think about it. Uh, at SummerSlam, they had their match. Uh, Becky Lynch was clearly trying to play the heel there. She attacked her after the match. Uh, the night afterwards, they had her first big heel promo where she put down the crowd. She was clearly playing the heel, but she was still getting cheered. Uh, but if you notice, after that one promo, the rest of the time they had the rivalry, at no point did she ever put the crowd back down. At no point did she try to differentiate herself from the crowd. It was more along the lines of she purely hates Charlotte, but she wasn't playing a heel character. She was just playing someone who flat out does not like her opponent. So it definitely feels like they changed her booking to what it is now compared to what it was initially the night after SummerSlam. I don't think they've changed her booking, actually, personally, because uh, you still have the commentators saying she's doing heel dickish things. You... you uh. You still, like, you have Charlotte blatantly going over to take selfies with children, and then having Lynch jump her. Uh, it's all heel tactics. They want her to be the heel, and Charlotte to be the baby face to cheer, and it's not working. Uh, so we're both seeing two different things here. Uh, I guess we'll only, well, I guess we'll see what's going to happen going forward. I have noticed the crowd, though, becoming more and more mute as this has gone on. I still see them like uh, from what I hear from people who uh, were there live. The Becky Lynch winning it was one of the biggest pops of the night. Oh yeah, like so. I think there's Becky Lynch. Fully- so I don't think they're kind of mute. I think they're happy. Hey, this is one of the heroes that we have, and hopefully it works out well. Like they're still cheering for Becky. Guess we'll see. I think. I think that there's going to be two tests coming up. Do they let her keep the title past the evolution? And if they do, since so much of her character is built around flat out hating Charlotte, what are they going to do with the next rivalry? Like, can they still have like that big heat moment with a whoever they decide to go after next? Could be Oscar personally. Get her back up. Have Oscar take take down take down Charlotte. Um, build that up, have Becky Lynch kind of in the wings, wondering what's going to happen there. I think you got to build up Asuka first, first and foremost. Don't have her cutting sushi promos with Naomi. <laughs> on one hand, I thought it was kind of funny. On the other hand, like, do we really need to go into the, the foreigner who doesn't speak English promos now? It's a bunch of old uh, white men in America. What do you expect? 
think about how awesome she was portrayed in NXT, and now you have that. Yeah. Well, moving on. Uh, I feel the go. Oh. It was worth a <laughs> chuckle, but I don't want to see that long term. No. Uh, so let's move on to the tag title match. Probably the match of the night. Um, oh, easy, easily. Uh, Ziggles and Drew retain versus The Shield after 23 minutes. Match was certainly hot, I will admit. I don't think it's better than any of the NXT tag title matches. Uh, uh, the hot, the the hot pace quality. after about seven minutes never let up, so that was great. Do this more. That's for sure. Yeah. I think uh, I think more matches like this need to happen with the tag titles to make them mean something again. Because the tag titles mean nothing. No, definitely not on Raw. Like, the SmackDown titles, on one hand, they're better both. On the other hand, they're put on the pre-show. But the Raw SmackDown titles, this was the first good Raw tag team match that I remember in a very long time. Yeah, it's it's been a it's been quite a long time. That's for sure. Uh, so, I think um, I did like how the match ended. It was very it was timed very well with the whole uh, Drew hitting the claymore during the Falcon Arrow attempt, uh, and Ziggles just kind of falls oh, no. on for the pin. I I really like that little spot. That was that was good stuff. It's I can't say enough good things about all four people in the match. Everyone did their job. Everyone made everything look incredible. Like, the story was there. The match quality was great. Uh, so, like, I really can't sell this match enough. To me, this was a top 10 match of the year, even with all the NXT matches. Like, I, this is one of the few main roster matches I put up there with NXT quality. I think it was good. I, I just, no, I, I think the NXT ones are better. But regardless, uh, they definitely need to do this more. Um, I think Ziggler needs to stay in the tag division at this point in his career. It, this is the type of match where he shined. I don't need to see I don't need to see him in eight singles matches with Seth Rollins anymore. That's for damn sure. <laughs> I was actually interested in that entire rivalry, except the first match or two, yeah, I'm excited to see these two well-known workhorses do their stuff. But like you said, match eight, nine, ten, Less excited now. Right. That's not even including all the tag, tags and uh, multi-man matches that they've had. So, But you put you put on matches like this, get Ziggler a good partner, and uh, build up the tag division a little bit. Uh, I, I, I definitely don't want to see McIntyre stay in the tag division. He's definitely a, a top five talent on Raw or SmackDown. Uh, but Ziggler, with his moveset, with uh, the way he's, he, uh, he's a genius at selling things, that's for sure, with him over-bumping. Uh, he needs to stay in the tag division. You get him, you get him here, and have him flourish. Then, then people start caring about him again. Yeah, kind of do the reverse about Michaels. The long- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm worried about the long-term outlook they have for this because at this point, I'm worried that they're just doing this to eventually put every single title on the shield because of that's the plan. reasons. <laughs> Of course, that's the plan. That's the plan. It's going to make me sad. Yeah. Uh, WWE title match: Styles versus Samoa Joe. A much faster pace uh, exchange switches compared to the first SummerSlam encounter. Uh, I liked how it was a much different match. 
Uh, I liked how... Um, I liked how the strike... It got to show off Samoa Joe as a, the big striker. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, at one point... Um, I think Joe, like, busted Styles' nose pretty pretty damn hard. Made him bleed. Oh. Yeah. I noticed neither uh, guy hit their finisher. Or even they locked their submissions. Well, technically, Joe did at the end. It was the phenomenal forearm. Joe reversed it into Queen of Clutch. And then the finish was the Bret Hart, Steve Austin thing where... You're locked in submission, and you just kind of roll into the pin. Well, I mean, we just saw this exact finish uh, with Kyrie saying Baszler at TakeOver. Yeah. Yeah, with the exception of and Kyrie saying not tapping out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I like the finish. So, like, I'm not a huge fan, just because if it was anyone else taking another dirty finish, okay, but at this point, like Styles does seem to be accumulating all these dirty finishes over the course of this year. Yeah. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of polls that go out. Like, everyone seems to be tired of AJ Styles' title run. I go, well, I mean, he's doing a good job. And then when you start amassing all of these feuds and who he's feuding with and how the feuds just seem to be drawn out for the sake of being drawn out, this is his... Let's see here. I wrote it down. Uh, this is his fifth uh, match this year with a screwy finish, and the 14th um, just in the last couple years. And we're not even at the end of the year here. So no wonder people aren't ty- uh, aren't hyped for Styles as champ anymore. He doesn't uh, win clean. how long that Nakamura feud was and how bad that entire feud was. Uh, and rem- what, remember three, the, uh, the Kevin Owens-AJ Styles-US title feud? With Styles yeah, like getting his good. foot caught in the table and everything, like it just doesn't end. It's the same booking with Styles every time. It's really annoying, actually. Man, I'm at the point where I think he is legitimately the best wrestler in the world right now. So I'm still enjoying this feud. I'm still enjoying his hell run. In fact, I'm kind of hoping that he breaks Lesnar's record for a longest hell reign, just because. I don't like Lesnar having that. <laughs> well, it's okay. Pete it's Dunn okay. is well, Pete Dunn's gonna get that with the UK title soon. Soon enough. <laughs> yeah, that one probably just, won't recognize yeah, that entire it. Lesnar. It is what it is. I mean, come on. When you think about it, before AJ Styles in this match and this title run. We had the joy of the Jinder Mahal top card experiment. Oh, boy. And I do not think to that. Yeah, and look but what happened if to him put now. The title on, <laughs> yeah. Like, put the title on Smojo. Cool. That's fine. I'm just worried about who they're going to pick to replace AJ if they want to give the title to someone else. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, looks, it looks to me that either... Joe wins it, um, beats Styles, and then you have like Daniel Daniel Bryan come in, or the Miz feuds with Styles. Uh, it, it's really only these four dudes right now. It's almost like Bryan and Miz are just kind of playing the waiting game until the Styles 
Joe thing is playing out playing out its course as long as possible. Unfortunately, because I, I just I don't know I'm, I'm not a fan of long drawn out feuds for the sake of them just filling time and that that's what that's what a lot of these feuds just seem to be these days. Take uh take the next match, Miz and Maurice against Brian and Bella. Uh, what would you think of this? I think it was. I want it, I think it was entertaining for what it was. Like I was not expecting a five star classic out of this by any means. It was entertaining. It was a good, like, change of pace match. But my problem was more along the lines of this changed the pace, but then the pace never recovered. Like, this was the turning point where it went from, holy crap, this is the best event WWE has done in years, to, oh, never mind, now I see WWE event right there. <laughs> and just kind of knows that. They couldn't help themselves, could they? <laughs> nope. They had a great start, and then what the hell happened? Yeah, it was one. Of, it was uh, up and up until uh, the finish of Joe Styles. Uh, I I was definitely entertained. It wasn't hard to watch by any means. You know, yeah, the st every story could be could be better. Um, there's always ways you can critique that stuff. But then you get then it then it all started with that that finish, and then you get to the Ms. Maurice Brian Bella, which to me they have ruined. The Miz Brian build that all started on the uh, uh, what do they call it? The uh, uh, Talking Smack from a couple years ago, yeah. And now it's turned into well, whose reality show is better? Uh, <laughs> I mean, they had they had that story going all the way back to the founding of NXT, where the Miz was Brian's coach. And they had this awesome dynamic. They established some of the best promos, the best hype packages going to SummerSlam. They did a dirty finish to prolong the feud, which would be one thing. But yeah, they turned the best story in current WWE into who's got the better like, reality TV show. Like that, that's absolutely wasteful. Yeah, because now now we're getting and, Maurice and and Brie Bella in the ring, and oh, is that just it is hard to even watch it. That that I think that that roll up finish at the end where, where Maurice just kind of put Bella on her back and then just pinned her. Like, that speaks for itself. Those two have no business being in the ring in 2018. Not not with this so-called women's revolution going on. <laughs> I love how the entire match was. Okay, Bryant and Miz are going to do everything they can to keep the other two out of the ring. Then they finally get into it at the very end. They need to do one move, and they mess that up. Yeah. Yeah. But, not, not to mention that they had yeah, they were I, in the, those two were in the main event of the go home <laughs> show of, on SmackDown. Oh, boy. Uh, I mean, it was good character was work. I'll give it that. It was yeah. fine. But, it was entertaining as a change of pace like match. I'm found down the like on a pay per view. It was entertaining to a fall. It was just like a different sort of entertainment. Mm -hmm. But I think the biggest down, like the worst thing about this event, was how front loaded it was. And as soon as you turn that corner of going from holy crap great to oh crap, it just like. You like takes on the matches, put them on other parts of the car, so you have more of an 
ebb and flow up and down thing as opposed to good, 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 crap, crap, what the hell. Well, it just shows you who who WWE wants uh, the viewer to believe who's at the top, and it is uh, Ms. Maurice, Brian and Bella, because the reality TV shows, the next match, Ronda Rousey, and the match after that, Roman Reigns. There you go. Those are, those are your those are your that's all they're concerned about right now. That that's who they think are the the big money rollers. Yes, Ronda Rousey's money. Her matches sure as shit aren't though. <laughs> Roman Reigns is a Roman oh, Reigns they're match. <laughs> oh, they're not as bad as Roman Reigns. Come on, let's <laughs> be realistic here. I mean, she's able to do more than ooh ah spear Superman punch. Well, she has, so, a judo, uh, she has a judo throw and a scary face. That's what Ronda, Ronda Rousey has. <laughs> Andy Lombard, like, I definitely, I'm not going to put her on the level of a Sasha Banks or an Asuka or Charlotte, but she's definitely not on the quality of the, let's call it the Divas ever. She's, she's not on the level of Marie. She's not on the level of Lana. She's definitely far, far above them. But, I agree with that. I mean, I understand they're doing it. it's name recognition. She is good considering how like new she is at this. I, I'm willing to give her a shot. I'm willing to enjoy the show. But I think the show would have been helped a lot more if you switched where Rousey was on the card, which where Charlotte was on the card. That way you at least get that like, jump back up in quality before the main event. You know that's probably you know that's a that's a much better outlook on it, because uh, then because then with this women's revolution that they're pumping, yeah, show your women's wrestlers wrestling. Uh, my my issue my issue with what they're doing with Ronda Rousey has more to do with them trying to make her into, you know, their vision of what a wrestler is. You know, think of like a Lex Luger character, pretty much. And that's not what you're you're making doing that you're making Ronda Rousey feel less special. Like this whole like we just saw Ronda Rousey take Bliss out in two seconds in their previous match, and now I'm supposed to believe Ronda Rousey's ribs hurt, but it only started hurting like two or three minutes into the match once Bliss started kind of hitting it. Like just little things would make a difference, like Ronda Rousey coming out with her ribs taped. Remember when that was a thing? Yeah, you know, you had someone be put yeah. through a table on like Raw or SmackDown prior to the the, the pay per view, and then that dude would come out with his ribs taped during the match, and that would be the selling point of the match. And st- didn't get that with Rousey here. That would have and showing yeah, her protect it. Yeah, I don't think could have done Alexa Bliss and Rousey in two squash matches back to back. I mean, at this point, of all the time and effort they spent building Alexa Bliss up, like I don't want to see them tear her right back down with back-to-back squashes. You didn't have to have this. So, like, I'm fine making. Yeah, I can agree with that. There's it was definitely not one of the matches. Plenty of, plenty of there's plenty of other women on the roster that could have like they could have kayfabed an arm injury for Bliss, and then uh, you have Mickey James hanging out doing n- fuck all. For God knows oh, how long. Like, she's one of the most underrated female stars they have right there. It's a shame that all they can give her is go out there and be Alexa Bliss's friend. Exactly. You no, have 
all-time legend, one of the seminal figures in women's wrestling history, uh, one of the one of the very few WrestleMania women match highlights before mm-hmm. the last couple years. And this is the crap you give her, just Alexa Bliss's friend. Like she, as far as I'm concerned, she is on that tier up there with Lita and with Trish Stratus. Absolutely. But the way she's booked, you wouldn't be able to tell. So no, uh, I I, th- I believe it was a mi- uh, easily missed opportunity. You keep you would keep Bliss looking looking strong. Uh, most of the match here, Bliss was like hitting Rousey's arm or or aiming on the opposite side of the ribs that were supposedly hurt or hitting her leg. Like she was just straight up missing. Bliss is uh Bliss is not. She can't target. She both both these both Rousey and Bliss don't have the technical skills in this match. I thought it was a dud. Yeah, Rousey, you know, is making leaps and bounds of improvement in her in such a short amount of time. But the way WWE is portraying her, I am not liking it, and it's just getting worse. You know, take a for all for all the New Japan fans out there, take Minoru Suzuki, next MMA type guy, or even who I just saw on Tom Lawler on the indie scene. You know, you have these MMA guys. Make them seem like MMA people. Make them into their own MMA character. Don't make them into a wrestler. Rousey's not a wrestler. She's a MMA person. <laughs> you get what I'm saying here? As I was say, look at Baszler as a great example of the right way to do it. Right. The experiment with Baszler is going extremely well. Why? 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 Why aren't we heading towards something along those lines? You know, teach route. You have Rousey doing the judo judo throws. I bet she knows more than one judo throw. She's an Olympic gold medalist for Christ's sake. <laughs> so, hey, character work. I still think I'm surprised that Baszler seems to have much better character work than Rousey does at this point. Well, Baszler, I'm not sure spent, if that's spent a year or two on the indie scene as well, getting trained. I want to, like, I'm not sure if it's Rousey, like, not doing the best acting, or if that's just the character that WWE is forcing her to do, like, a Finn Balor-type character where they tell her just to go out there and keep smiling. Oh, God. Don't even want to go there. (laughs) Uh, I I will say Rousey's selling was a bit better in this match, because the the one on Raw was, like, a, a, a dumpster fire of an attempt. Let's just move on to the, the the main event here and start bitching about yeah, how this show closed. Like, holy crap! Where? Uh, how, how about this, Stan? I'm gonna I'm gonna run down uh, Roman's entire move set for the entire match. Here we go. So Braun basically throws Roman yeah, around with the occasional weapon spot. So not much there. Here here's what happens. We got match starts off with seven straight punches from Roman Reigns. Uh, then for the rest of the match. We get three clothesline corner, uh, three corner clotheslines, one drive by, uh, one boot, eight Superman punches, and a table spear. There you go. Named every single move Roman had in the entire match. Roman uh, even hit his finisher at uh, 12 minutes. Roman kicks out, uh, and that's when you get a Superman punch spear almost immediately. Roman kicks out, and this is when the match just goes nowhere uh did, how did you feel about I the down. entourage hitting the ring at 12 minutes i think wwe has found a way to put stunt doubles into wrestling they want to protect their two top stars of Strowman and reigns uh-huh. so they do the safe stuff then they lay down the corner and the workers come in and do the actual spots in the match for them to make the match still look credible 
Oh god. It's a stunt double. <laughs> That's a so great like, comparison there. He's going up the ladder. Uh you two go out there. Like I'm surprised they didn't literally try to make Rollins act like Reigns and do a ooh ah before he does a spot. What, ir- what, what, ir- what irritated me about hard. this match personally was as soon as the entourage hit the ring, I'm like, so what are the other two going to do? And sure enough, they did nothing. Later. They, they laid there for the next 11 minutes. <laughs> you had you had a, uh, it was, a, you had Ziggler I, and Rollins. So hard and, to put over. To. It's oh boy, it's 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 too hard to to put over uh, more than more than one guy at a time. Apparently, well, it's impossible to put over Reigns. Apparently, you have to have four other people run out and bust their ass to make him look good. Do you know why they I, ended up climbing the cell, other than for the sake of climbing the cell? <laughs> give it a spot. Yeah, because they want fire. The they want the Strowman versus Reigns match to end the night to be the main event highlight that people remember, but they don't want those two to actually do it. So they want to bring in other people to do the spots to make the match memorable. Yeah. But well, that is, at the end of the match, I did, sure as hell did not like Reigns or Strowman anymore. And Lesnar coming in, I, I just don't get any of the booking. Like the Two most interesting people from that was the Ziggler and Rollins doing their double uh, thing. Even though I don't think they should have had to do that. Uh, then like Lesnar comes in, kicks the door off, which it looked badass. But the problem with that is, okay, you make Lesnar look like the most badass person who's probably going to get cheered the most because he does look the best out of this match. Yeah, you just spend three months tearing him down to make sure that he doesn't get cheered over Rome right. at over Reigns at SummerSlam. <laughs> so I'm not going to go. Oh, I'm not going to remember the three months where he looked like an ass. I'm going to remember this for <laughs> reasons. So like, I don't even know who I'm supposed to cheer for. You have the two people who don't want to do the work. You have the one who's been torn down. You have the four other guys who. They're amazing enough as is because they just put on the match of the night and now they're coming out here and putting on the spots of the night as well. I mean, I'm, I'm cheering for the tag teams. To me, this is, in a, this is a fantastic example and uh, I've been saying this on uh, other podcasts I've been guesting on and uh, through Twitter, what have you. But, you know, it's, it's main events like this and the booking that's super confusing and the character work that's either non-existent or they're trying to overbook something via Vince Russo style. This is WCW all over again. Heading into 2000. It is that like it is it is that bad and yes, the parallels are there. And 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 then are you saying, well, WCW lost their TV deal? Yeah, okay, WWE got a new one, but they're also the only only ticket in town essentially. And don't forget that WCW was pulling in one to three hundred million viewers, even on the up to the last episode of Nitro. So don't tell don't tell me that WWE is getting more viewers because they're not. In fact, they're getting less than ever. I believe Raw just this past week, Stan, got the third lowest rating of all time in in the history of Raw. That's not a good sign. 
and I don't blame him at all because I stopped watching Raw for the most part myself. Like it, the quality is. I can't describe how bad the quality is, and I can't remember the last time I remember Raw having this low quality of product. Yeah, I misspoke. Uh, I said one to three hundred million. It's just one to three million. <laughs> uh, this is essentially like you have the talent there. You have some of the best wrestlers. They're not put on TV. You have an entire show based around getting one guy over to the detriment of the entire like product quality. And all the work you're putting into getting this one guy over is still not working because he's he might not be getting booed as loudly. He might have a couple of cheers sprinkled in, but he doesn't seem like a superstar when everyone is still booing him very audibly. Mm-hmm. Like I was actually I was at WrestleMania live this last year. From being inside the stadium, I can assure you that was very very loud. Like. It was impossible to miss those boos, and I heard no cheers. I heard many other comments and chants, but they <laughs> were all in the very next. Yeah, it's 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 not good. It's it's not a good sign. Uh, it, be it the be it the shit finishes, the the overbooking, uh, the lack of character work. Well, why is it so hard to just have one guy go out there and beat another guy? You can have as many matches as you want. You know why? Why, why does the AJ Styles Samoa Joe match have to end in this weird he tapped out uh, roll up thing when you could just go? You can go on SmackDown the next night and go. You know what? I really like that match. I think you guys can do it again. Why is that so hard? <laughs> uh, I think it's at the point where WWE just has so much time to fill, where they're doing one or two pay per views per month. They had three hours of TV on Raw. They have two hours of TV on SmackDown. They have an hour for NXT every week. They have an hour for 205 every week. The roster is still not that much bigger than it was in years past. So they're just trying to do whatever they can to fill in these time spots. And they want to keep the same guys on TV more and more. I mean, there's clearly better like options. They're, they're putting them in stories. It's just go out there and have a match. Take the uh, take the AJ Styles Almas thing. Almas hasn't had a feud since his call up at all, and he's lost most of his matches that I can that I can see. Or he's or he's fifty fifty. The Sin Cara count as a feud? No, because it wasn't even on TV. <laughs> okay, just checking, guys. That's the only one I can remember. No, he just had a match against uh, two, whatever. That's the thing. Like, you say the roster, you say the roster is not as big, but they have the roster. The guys are there. They're just not doing anything. Take Ty Dillinger; he's the best example. When was the last time you saw him on TV? I think he's been on TV once in 2018. <laughs> I was actually gonna like one thing I will say while we're talking about Almas and Styles. That last match they had on the TV, that entire. Crocodile roll into the Styles Clash was one of the most amazing things I can remember seeing. Like, holy crap. Like, I don't even know. I got to rewatch that to figure out how they did it. That was just incredible. But I just have to give them credit where credits do that. Like, that was just spectacular. The, cr- the credits there. But yeah, I can it, see it was, it was like, a good match, but what, what's what's the incentive? All, all it does is have almost lose again. 
Yeah. I'll say a better example, like I'll still keep going to Finn Balor, the golden standard of why is this guy not being used? Like you spent the entire year. You finally got him. Like as soon as I saw, even though it was a crap feud with Corbin, even though it was a crap story, when he came out as the demon at SummerSlam, that was still one of the highlights for me of SummerSlam. And all of a sudden, he's like, holy crap, he feels awesome again. And the very next night, you have him lose to Corbin. And I haven't seen him on TV since. It's not good. It's, it's, it's very questionable. It's almost, it's almost like, why would I bother watching or paying for the show when I know the finish is never going to come? Or you know your guy is just going to go out there and just meet a quota? Essentially, it's it's very irritating. I mean, it, I've definitely come to expect it. I'm just I'm I'm questioning you, the the listeners and viewers. Like, why do you end up watching this? It can't. It, it there. I watch so much wrestling, Dan, and this is one of the worst products that I've that I've seen. I mean, World of Sport Wrestling is is not very good, but that that's a totally different audience. That's not me. They know it's not for me, and that's why I don't watch it. I'm still enjoying SmackDown. I, I gave up on Raw. Um, just like I still keep my W subscription because I think NXT is one of the best wrestling brands in the world right now. Mm. So I I'll happily so, pay I the don't have that. <laughs> yeah, like, I'll still happily pay the subscription just to keep watching NXT. But yeah, Welcome Raw is in absolute shape. <laughs> SmackDown, I'm still enjoying, but it's not as good as it could be. Incredibly entertaining now. Well, let's get a. Like, uh, say again. I go ahead. I was going to say like the only thing to, that's keeping two five down is it just it's not presented as a big deal. It's just it's presented as the side act. Right. Yeah, two hundred five live has its highlights, but it's just uh, don't do they don't do much. <laughs> when they finally get some sort of platform, they're on the pre-show. Like, great. All right. So if WWE doesn't care, then why should I? That's that's my mentality these days. Um, I agree. All right. Uh, I guess one last point would would be uh, it'd be it'd be wrong of me not to bring it up. But um, Aiden English turned on Rusev. Rusev Day has come to an end, and this kind of goes into the whole Edge and Christian thing we mentioned earlier. And when I was saying that you got to be a tag team and a sex a successful tag team, and the crowd has to care about the tag team. For when the turn does come, because we know it's always going to come, we just don't know when, that we actually react to it. Did you react to Aiden English turning on Rusev at all? Not really, but I was never a big fan of the entire Rusev Day thing. It deserves its spot, it's clearly over with the fans, it just doesn't resonate with me, so it's not a story that I was particularly personally invested in. But, I... I am, I'm more upset for other people enjoying the show, not because I don't think that they should have broken up at some point. Mm-hmm. It's just that I don't think they're going to give either guy anything worth breaking up that team over. Like I see them getting one pre-show match and then both guys not being on TV again for the next four months. You know, I, I am in 100% agreement with this opinion. Uh, yeah, okay, if you're... Aiden English is the guy 
you're supposed to turn heel because uh, then at least he's some somewhat relevant. But once this feud is over, what what happens? Does Rusev just go on back to losing to you know the Daniel Bryan's and AJ Styles all over again? We've already seen that. Even when Rusev Day was a thing, he was losing then. Uh, Aiden English is definitely on his way out. There's no way he's doing anything other than wrestling dark matches or going to, uh, what is it, Saturday main event, if that's still even on TV, who knows. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this 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 feud that's, that's going to happen now, that screams pre-show to me on a B pay-per-view. And not to mention, one of the biggest things about Rusev Day and that entire gimmick was Aiden English and those entrances. Right. Like, those entrances actually made him stand apart. It's like it's similar to John Cena back in the Master of Pugonomics angle, where those raps and those promos prior to his match were one of the main things that made him stand out. It was the same thing with Rusev and Aiden English and his like opera style singing in the beginning of the match. Mm-hmm. You take away one of the big parts, you're not going to have the same act, you're not going to have the same character. Now you'll just have the face version of Rusev that was not winning before. I don't think he's going to get much of a push again anymore this time. No. I think where the E I think where the E missed the boat was at WrestleMania in that fatal four-way where Rusev not only didn't win, I think he got pinned, too, by Jinder Mahal for the U.S. title. I remember the match, but I don't remember... I remember Mahal won. I don't remember who got pinned. And then was, the very next night, Mahal loses it. the title to Jeff Hardy, so... Like, what the hell? <laughs> I think it was Jeff Hardy. Anyways. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they... He missed the boat on Rusev Day 100%. They ended up doing nothing with him other than for Aiden English to come out and do an entrance for for the summer. Very, very shameful. So, I'm tired of uh, bitching about WWE and their their just bad booking lately. Uh, But Hell in a Cell started off as one of the best pay-per-views of the year and it ended in what I can only describe as WCW 2000. Any final thoughts, Stan? I completely agree. I think I still give the overall show a good solid B just because of how good the first two thirds of the show was. But yeah, it was. Like it came in with a roar and went out with a giant fart. <laughs> uh, like, like the thing was, I didn't realize the end was the end. Like I was like actually starting to get into it. I'm like, okay, we just had some spots for the hell of it. Okay. Here comes Lesnar. Okay, this could actually get interesting. Wow, he's beating these guys up. This is getting awesome. Here comes the ref. Okay, these guys are out. I'm like, wait, uh, they have to be teasing. Something else is about to happen. It's about to get really good. And then it fades to black. And I'm like, wait a minute. That actually was the end? Are you kidding me? Second straight pay-per-view in a row. They pulled a uh, like a Tony Schiavone on Monday Nitro. And we'll see you next week. <laughs> Just bang, cut out. Yeah, it was like, wow, way to screw up that event. Well, since I mentioned Tony Schiavone, I think this is a good time to go into our last segment here, WCW Thunder. All righty. 
So here we are. This is the first WCW Thunder post the pay-per-view WCW Super Brawl 8. Uh, this is episode uh, 8 of it, February 26, 1998. The show starts off with a tag match of Chris Jericho and Eddie Guerrero versus Dean Malenko and Booker T. Booker T. Uh, Jericho retained his cruiserweight title. and Booker T. Um, got back and retained the TV title. So, really fun tag match. Faces versus heels. Heel stuff from Eddie and Jericho working amazingly together. It was quite comical. And uh, a frustrated Booker T the entire time. Nice hot finish, plus the ending, all four men in the ring. But uh, Eddie and Booker T were the legal men. Kind of um, kind of miscommunication there. Uh, Malenko has Jericho in the clover leaf, while Eddie just straight up pins the TV champ Booker T after a frog splash. So uh, it, was a, it was a good match. Um, you recognize all those names, don't you? Don't you, Stan? It essentially appears that the 1998 Cruiserweight division for WCW wound up turning into the WWE main event scene in 2005. Yeah, outside of Dean Malenko. <laughs> Dean Malenko never got out of the the cruiserweights. Um, he he just lacked the personality. You know, I think they called him. I remember they called him the Iceman in WCW because he was he was just so stone faced the whole time. Uh, next match was uh, was um, Goldberg coming out, or I'm sorry, Goldberg didn't come out. It was actually a one v one match: Brad Armstrong versus Finley. The previous two that got jobbed out to Goldberg. <laughs> you remember Brad Armstrong uh, at all, Dan? At all. I remember Finley. Don't remember Trump. You definitely remember Finley. Well, Finley won via a tombstone. I don't remember that being his finisher. <laughs> I don't remember many people getting the tombstone outside of Cannon Taker. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, that kind of surprised me. <laughs> uh, uh, match after that was uh, two British guys going 1v1. It was uh, British Bulldog against Dave Taylor. Uh, pretty straightforward, quick, quick match. Uh, Bulldog wins easily via his power slam. Not much else to say there. Uh, were you a big fan of British Bulldog at all, or was that after? Was that before your time of when you were a fan? No, I for him. Hey, I was a huge fan. But he was entertained for what it was. It's like I can't remember too many major awesome Bulldog moments aside from SummerSlam '92. Sure. Hey, after that, he just. It didn't seem like he like he had the United Nations tag team with Lex Luger. I, uh, I remember him me. having the. <laughs> I, I remember him having his big heel turn by uh, turning on Diesel on Raw before the Diesel versus Mabel SummerSlam. Oh. Like, I don't even know call that one. But after that, the only thing I remember him doing was being part of the Heart Foundation. Yeah, that's kind of where. Or he ended up staying. So uh, after that, Kurt Hennig, aka Mr. Perfect, cuts an "I'm better than you" to Bret Hart promo. Uh, then it was Rick Fuller. You recognize this name? No, me neither. Because he's facing Goldberg. Crowd goes nuts. Two minutes later, pin. Still undefeated. <laughs> uh, the Goldberg thing. It worked that one time. I wasn't a huge fan of it. Because I have no interest in watching two-minute squash matches for years all the time. 
I hate it when they do it now, and they still do it too often now. Uh, yeah, they entire, like, for example, the, right they now, they beat the squash match uh, right into right into us um, on weekly television WWE. Uh, the only reason why Goldberg worked at the time was because he was booked to be that guy. People went nuts. The crowd definitely went nuts when Gold- every time Goldberg's come out, recapping these Thunder episodes. <laughs> yeah, it worked at the time. It's not working for me now. Like, I'm tired of seeing AOP squash matches. I got tired of seeing Nia Jax squash matches. I sure as hell got tired of the uh, Bludgeon Brothers squash matches. Yeah, that's just a good example of uh, the writers just do not know what to do with guys. And- uh, match after this, I don't know if you've recognized these names, Stan, but what went down was quite funny. Uh, do you know Laparka? No. He's the uh Can't say I do. He's the luchador that dressed in the skeleton outfit, kind of the Day of the Dead thing going on. He always hit people with chairs. Okay. Uh, uh about, I was more at Yeah, and that was the WCW guy. What what about Yuji Nagata? He's still actually wrestling in New Japan to this day. <laughs> no, can't say I think so smell either. How about his ma- manager Sonny Ono? Does the name that ring a bell? sounds kind of familiar. Sort of. Yeah, he's one of the more famous managers of all time. Uh, well, anyways, uh, Sonny Ono's managing y- Yuji Nagata, and as they're coming down to the ring, this is such a great moment, because I-, I definitely popped doing it. Sonny Ono took a selfie with a disposable camo- camera while w- walking down the ramp. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so good. Uh, Disco Inferno, oh, yeah. does that name ring a bell? Like, who? Disco Inferno? Yeah. Okay. I remember he was like a very sign. I can't remember what his name was before he became Disco Inferno, but I remember he was a huge deal of being brought into WCW, and then for whatever reason, they gave him that really bad gimmick. Oh, it was a bad gimmick, and the crowd hated him. He was kind of, He was definitely a... Uh a goofy kind of comedy act that would actually win matches every now and again. His finisher was a stunner. It was quite funny. Uh, he interfered in this match. He stunned uh, Ono, uh, and Nagata hits Parka with a chair. Nagata lock tap out. I, st- I don't like seeing LaParka lose all the time. He's got so much personality, but being that it's usually Nagata, it's okay. That's something WCW liked doing with their, with their mid-card foreigners. Uh, really got some guys over more than others. Um, Probably had, I don't know if they had a deal with certain organizations of the time, but they definitely brought in a lot of these foreigners. Uh, didn't really book them to win titles. At least that's not what I'm seeing in these recaps. I don't, I'm, I can't quite remember. My memory's fuzzy on that. But what my memory's not fuzzy is it's Scott Hall NWO time. It's a promo aimed at Sting for his uh, title shot coming in two weeks at Uncensored because he won. This huge, uh, like, Royal Rumble, Battle Royal-type-esque thing. He's been waiting for his title shot for weeks, weeks and months. And then this is where this episode of Thunder gets real, real funny. It is Buff Bagwell introducing White Thunder Scott Steiner. This is the first Thunder after Super Brawl where Scott Steiner infamously turned on his brother Rick. Do you remember that? Stan? 
Oh, that part I remember. Yeah. Oh boy, this segment. Oh my god. First off, Scott Steiner can't make the too sweet to save his life. It's more like he makes an O with his hand and then just taps someone else doing the too sweet. Quite awful. Uh, best line was... Just remember, Scott Steiner was not the best promos. Oh no. Yeah, like the Ultimate Warrior style where you just rambled nonsensically and somehow it worked. Oh, and this is no exception. This is like one of his first major promos and with Buff Bagwell in tow, both guys are just they're 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 primed sweet horrible. It it is it was awful. There was a line that says shut up white thunder is trying to talk and then Scott Steiner proceeds to then stumble over his words for like a minute and the Buff Bagwell tried again. It was just very bad. And uh, then my boy Marty Jannetty comes up to face White Thunder. And uh, yeah, he got jobbed out pretty bad here. <laughs> oh, poor Marty. Poor Marty, indeed. Uh, next match was uh, Kurt Henning versus Jim the uh, Anvil Neidhart. But then most of this match is cut by Scott Steiner on commentary being White Thunder, and he's talking absolute gibberish about uh, the MWO and and beating down random people, and then he mentions his brother back in Michigan, saying, you know, I beat you up at Super Bowl, but come join me in the NWO. Made no, like, the whole match wasn't even on TV, but it was going on in the background. It was all about Scott Steiner on commentary. <laughs> well, I guess that was how much they cared about Marty Jannetty. Well, this was the uh, Mr. Perfect Neidhart match that was getting cut oh, okay. out. Yeah. Oh, um, that's a bummer. Yeah, it was a bummer. But, hey, Neidhart's a tag team rep. Anyways. Uh, then he had a fun little paid-for by the NWO segment where it's Kevin Nash poking fun at the Giant and busted neck. Uh, that's that. He's ma- making fun of the, the, po- the infamous powerbomb botch that sold out on the big show. Yeah, I remember that, Bod. It's like, huh, what happens if we drop 500 pounds on someone's head? Well, he gets injured for a while. That's what happens. Or he almost dies. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Uh, the, next, the next announcement for the match was very interesting. It was Raven. Uh, you big Raven fan? Were you a Raven fan, Stan? I wasn't a huge fan. I know he made his big bucks in ECW. But PCW, aside from RVD, I didn't really know too many of the guys. Yeah, Raven and by the time he came over, it was a fairly watered down version going by here. Yeah, they, I mean, everyone from WCW and ECW and the invasion angle got the hose hard. Uh, I, I think Booker T was the only guy who was successful outside of WCW. And even uh, then, he got he got kind of jobbed out pretty hard to Triple H there in the end. <laughs> Um, there was a couple guys who came out they had the invasion, but yeah, it was pretty bad there. Yeah. Uh, so Raven and Nash are to have a singles match uh, for Raven's Rules with a Battle Royal stipulation. So it was a no-DQ match, and you had to throw the guy over the top rope. That's what they announced. What ended up happening was Raven's little cronies called Raven Flocks immediately hits the ring. Raven just kind of leaves the ring nonchalantly, and Nash hits a couple power bombs, and uh, the whole 
shtick here is uh, his power because of what he did to the giant. The power bomb is a is now a banned move, so every time he uses it, he gets fined like fifty grand and arrested. So here he is getting fined a hundred grand, and he's arrested again. So we've we've seen this kind of happen on the last few thunders. Uh, I was kind of excited for the whole Raven Ravens rules battle royal match, but oh well. I guess the fans can't get what they want when they advertise something, right? <laughs> of course not. What is this? Not WWE. <laughs> uh, and then you got the main event. Finally, it was uh, Diamond Dallas Page for, uh, versus Chris Benoit for the U.S. title. A return bout from Super Bowl, even though Benoit lost clean. Hey, what do you know? You can book the match again, even though the other guy lost clean. <laughs> uh, which I think is what they should have done with AJ Styles, Samoa Joe. It's definitely very hard to separate Benoit, the wrestler, from Benoit there at the end. Uh, yeah, it's, I know what you mean. Kind of rough to see see these old matches with him. You know where it leads to, but it doesn't take away for the for the wrestler he was. How about that? Yeah, I can give him that much. Uh, yeah. It's almost like separating oh, the, uh, the the artist from the painting, you know. So um, it was not the best look for wrestling in general when that happened. No, but uh, hate to say it, but. In a way, it was good for wrestling because then it brought you know the whole steroid thing to even more light. It brought CT the whole CTE issue to light as well. In the head got rid of a lot of the general moves going to the head area. Exactly. So in a in a horrible kind of light, um, the you know one one good thing to come out of this whole Benoit fiasco was. Was it changed? It changed the way you looked at you know, wrestling was looked at. So, uh, there was a good big, little big yeah. There's a good little eight eight minute after. exchange in this match. Um, Raven hits the ring to fuck shit up. Then a brawl breaks loose, and then it just goes. We're out of time. Cut. We'll see you next week. It's like fucking WCW. <laughs> they average schedules keep ten o'clock cut off means ten o'clock cut off. Then you go to. Celebrity dancing, whatever was on at the time. <laughs> I don't know. Celebrity deathmatch really stuck out to me. I don't know if that was on at the time, but no, it, no, I think it was. I think that's what I did watch after WCW was Celebrity Deathmatch on MTV <laughs> at ten o'clock. <laughs> uh, I kind of miss that. I kind of miss that in a way, though. It it, it definitely gets me. It, you know, I'm sad that the from a TV perspective, I'm sad that the match was cut short. And just when things were getting good, they go, we're out of time. Come join us on Nitro or Thunder next week. It definitely gets me hyped and interested in watching the next show. I think that, I think for weekly TV shows, there's a sense of that missing. You know? Yeah, I definitely do not look forward to each weekly TV show because I can't tell them apart much anymore. Yeah, they all feel the same, don't they? Well, that's why I'm saying, like, my German promotion I like watching weekly is, is pretty good. That's more of a chill experience. And then Impact's just been killing it with, uh, you know, like, going to the different countries. You're seeing fresh wrestlers all the time, fresh storylines. So. Yeah, I can see that being good. 
Well, that's uh, that yeah, was. This... Go on. I was just saying at this point, I'm trying to think back to the entire year of uh, Raw and SmackDown. And if I can think of any really standout moments from the weekly shows, mm-hmm. I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> yeah, it's not a good sign. Not a good sign at all. I want to say I guess would be the Bobby Lashley Three Sisters promo just because of how unbelievably oh. horrible that was. But it's not standing out for the right reasons. No, it certainly is not. It's standing out from the perspective of who made this crap. <laughs> who made this crap? Who booked this shit? <laughs> uh, well, Stan, uh, thank you for, for joining me on this episode. It was a lot of fun having you on. I'll do it again sometime. Alrighty. Well, this has been uh, Redley Fletcher Cast, Russell Cast Edition, Episode 13. Uh, come join us next time. As we uh, will talk, uh, the plan is to talk about Brad Armstrong, episode 9 of Thunder, and many more. Probably um, probably some other wrestling shows coming out, you know, Impact and whatnot, doing well. Join us next time, head us up on, uh, hit me up on Twitter and Instagram, Apple and JD. See you next time. Bye. Here we are at the end of the WrestleCast episode 13. And I might start doing this normally uh, as to just go into a little bit more detail than I usually do. But this is the end of the podcast, Wrestlers Rankings. Um, and just because this was a more or less experimental episode with uh, with the new host and what have yous, uh, I will also update on the top ten rankings overall. So, I'm going to start with WWE here with the top ten for the for the episode. Uh, from the bottom up, number 10 is Almas. Good match on SmackDown. Again, voiced uh, my worry that he's just there to fill in matches and look good. He's looking good, but I'm still worried about the future booking. Uh, number 9, Charlotte. She's been she's been doing pretty well. 8, Samoa Joe. A good, decent enough match at, at uh, Hell in a Cell. Still, booking bothers me there. 7 is Becky frickin' Lynch. She is... By definition, hot fire. Uh, only the one match, though. Like I like I said with Charlotte. Uh, Promo-wise, she's been doing well. I don't know what WWE wants to do with her, other than they definitely want her to be heel. Uh, but as my buddy Stan mentioned, he's seeing something a bit different, so I guess we'll see in time. Drew McIntyre, 6. 5. Dolph Ziggler. Uh, they're, they've been the highlights for the past few weeks of WWE, uh, I do like Ziggler in the tag team role more than a singles role at this point, as I mentioned before. Four is AJ Styles. He had uh, the match with Almas and Samojo, so it shouldn't be a surprise there. Three, Tyler Bate. I really, I, I extremely liked his match with Mark Haskins over in progress. Two, Pete Dunne. One, Ricochet. I think that should come as no surprise. So Ricochet gets a good ten points going there. Uh, on to New Japan. This was difficult, especially mixing in the uh, the RPW stuff of the New Japan guys over there uh, for the British J-Cup, and uh, including Matt Taven from Ring of Honor, uh, putting on quite the showing over the last few weeks over in CMLL in Mexico. So he comes in at number 10, actually. Gresham, like I said, has been a highlight with whatever match he's been in. Uh, 8 Omega. I... I... 
might be a little low, to be honest. Uh, but it is Omega, so he did need to get on the list. I, I, I don't know. I felt like other guys outshined him anyway. And exposure. That's also important. So, Seven's actually Bushi. I'm not saying he performed better than Omega in the match, but Bushi just doesn't get enough love, and that missed spot just really stuck out to me. Uh, I know he does the missed spots often in his matches, uh, but credit where credit's due. Six, Okada. The Tanahashi match was, I think, better than the Ishii-Omega match overall. Uh, number five is Rapungi 3K as a whole. I thought Yosho and Rocky Mero as a trio... Uh, whether it was their singles matches over in RPW or even what they're doing in New Japan during the Destruction Tour, it all just stood out to me as a good positive for the team. Four is Ishii, three Koshida, two Tanahashi, one Osprey. Again, shouldn't come as any surprise based on what we have said in this episode. On to the rest of the indie scene. I really want more Ring of Honor guys on here, so hopefully... Uh, with the uh, the pay- the next pay-per-view coming up next weekend, or this weekend, that more guys will be on here. So, uh, on to the indie scene. Ten, Roosh from Mexico. I'm always happy to see uh, Roosh get, get, uh, get up there. I thought about putting Aussie Open on there, but Roosh was just a, just such a draw in Mexico with, uh, between him and Matt Taven in that just... Really entertaining match, despite how really confusing the match was overall and the and the uh, ending. Nine, uh, Walter. He's my man. Uh, just great tag matches overall. Uh, he's he, he stands out wherever he goes. Eight, Jor- Jordan Grace. Um, for that main event beyond, I went to. Uh, yeah, if I didn't go, she wouldn't be on the list. That's for sure, because I probably wouldn't have watched the show. But hot damn, she impressed me. Seven, David Starr. He's your favorite wrestler's favorite wrestler. Six, Brian Cage. He's killing it in Impact. He's killing it wherever he goes, whether it's Lucha Underground. And yeah, saw him live, and he is no joke. He's the real deal. Five, I'm very happy to finally put him on the indie list, and that is the team CCK slash Chris Brooks. I tried to fit him in into the top ten in the previous episode, just couldn't do it. Uh, I finally get to do that now. Uh, very underrated uh, performer. He's he's got that technical sense, and uh, he's he's what I would call what I want Dolph Ziggler to kind of turn into is that tag team specialist guy. Yeah, he can go in a singles match, put on the put on the good showing every now and again. I think tag team is definitely where he's at. And Chris Brooks is that example. Four Bandito, future star in the making here. I say it. I've I think I've said it, it was the third episode in a row now. But yeah, Bandito is a stud in the making. He's so good. He's standing out wherever he goes. Three, Mark Haskins. Two, Jimmy Havoc. And one, LAX. LAX is definitely hitting the, uh, what I would call, exposure line. The more you're exposed, the more I see you, and the better chance you have into putting in good matches, uh, including I saw LAX live uh, a couple times now. Actually, and I believe I'm going to see him this weekend, the next Beyond show I go to. So, LAX is definitely, I think, uh, the top tag team in the world right this second um, to compete with the Young Bucks and the Briscoes. That's my opinion. No, I just don't think WWE gives... They might have better tag teams between the Usos and the New Day, but they just don't get that exposure. 
and they don't get the the feuds and the matches to go along with them. It's just the same shtick every time. That's why I'm putting LAX number one. And they're climbing the ranks between LAX, Brian Cage, and even uh, even Pentagon. Just been shooting up the ranks lately, catching up with a few of those All Japan Noah guys and Walter. But it's going to be tough to catch Walter at this point. He's just everywhere performing. And that'll, that'll finish me off with uh, the women's rankings. Uh, very tough considering the May Young Classic, Five Star Grand Prix, Shine 53. Um, God, it's, but Shine 53 was definitely the better uh, women's performances. Uh, over the course of the top 10. Regardless, there was some ones that slipped in there. I wanted to get Chelsea Green in there uh, because she showed up on Lucha Underground, but really it was just a spot, not a match. Uh, so 10, Mayu Iwatani. 9, Lufisto. 8, Ivalice. Uh, 7, Charlotte. 6, Mia Yim. Yep, she did make it on there. 5, Mercedes Martinez. Really thought about putting her higher. I really did. Uh, however, I think the other ones did outperform her, whether it was character work, exposure, or what have you. So four is Hazuki. I'm giving her credit where credit's due. I got to now. It's a long time coming. Three, Allison K, the new Shine Champion, and a good performance against me, yeah, man classic. Shame she went out in the first round. Two, Jordan Grace, breaking barriers, that's for sure. And one is Becky Lynch. She is, you know, when you're the hottest thing going on on in WWE, I, I can't not finally give you credit. And Becky Lynch has shot up hard in a matter of a couple months here. Uh, she's actually number four overall in the women in the world right now, as far as I'm concerned. So, crazy stuff. Let's see if she can she can keep that up and catch Tony Storm. Uh, might be hard since Tony Storm's coming up in the Mae Young Classic. So let me just update the overall top 10. Is uh, number 10 at 46 points, Tetsuya Naito. 9 is Johnny Gargano at 47. 8, Seth Rollins at 48. 7, Young Bucks at 50. Haven't seen them in a while, so they, they've been slowly dropping. Uh, so let's see, 10, 9, 8. So. 6 is Jay Lethal at 59. 5 is Zack Sabre Jr. at 62. 4 is Volter. At 68, he's uh, he's dropped a couple couple spots. Uh, three is Will Ospreay at 72. Kazuchika Okada is number two at with 73 points, and number one is Kenny Omega with 74. So, in terms of match quality, I I don't think these guys should come as any surprise. I don't. I suspect Naito is going to fall out of this top ten uh, unless he puts on some crazy singles matches. Uh, I expect people like Kushida. Um, I expect Kushida and maybe even since Ishii is uh, gaining ground uh, for them to take over uh, Naito. We'll see. We'll definitely see. It's gonna it's gonna be interesting for New Japan. I think that I think the top guys are gonna hold that spot. And who who knows uh, with all these tag tag leagues coming up, should see some new guys hitting the list here. But uh, if you want to. Keep up with how the wrestling rankings uh, are, are going down and how each individual tier is doing. Head up at BowlingJD on Twitter. I post I post the rankings on there after each episode goes live. You can just scroll down my Twitter into the uh, the photos and, and see the uh, see the Excel results and see how close everything is. But yeah, this was episode 13 
of the Redleaf Retrocast, Wrestlecast edition. I hope episode 14 is sooner rather than later, and I hope these episodes, uh, <laughs> I say it every time, get a little shorter. There's just so much to talk about. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you join us in the next episode.